Hello and welcome to episode 188 of the Random Town Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And I don't know if you've looked at the calendar lately, but it's Halloween this week. Or what are the kids called, Angel? I think also Halloween. Oh. Alright. I thought they had a cool name for it. Guess not. No. But, no. <laughs> not no cr- there's no meme They're not that involving creative. the word spooky, perhaps. I'm sort of guiding you towards that you're just not. Ghastly? Definitely not cool for the peanut gallery. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Elvis. Hi. Welcome back to the podcast. You haven't been on in... Uh, a couple years. A couple years until just now. And now he's running away and putting headphones on and hiding. Anyway, the point I'm bringing up about Halloween is we're going to celebrate uh, by taking a look at some of our favorite horror games and what it is that makes them tick. Sort of. like we're call- Because of that, we're calling this episode The Ghost of Games Past, which I realize is actually a Christmas reference, but ghosts, games, Halloween, you're just going to have to get over it, people that like Christmas. Uh, that's not to say we want regular news. Or what we're playing impressions or anything like that. Uh, we're going to have um, announcements surrounding Pokemon. We have September MPD numbers. The ups and downs of third-party games on the Switch. We have uh, Labo coming to classrooms. Impressions of a Switch indie game called Pizza Titan Ultra, which is a mad lib of a name, but actually a really fun game. And on top of all that, Angel here just rediscovered Pokemon Go. So we're going to talk about that and what he thinks of it as he's back in the fold. So if there's any one topic I just route off that anyone wants to hear... You long-time listeners know what to do. Go to the episode blog post roundtown.com. Go to the YouTube page. Grab the individual timestamps there. Jump around. But otherwise, let's just start talking about some scary stuff. Let's let's do Halloween. Because really, as long as there's been Nintendo platforms, there's been horror games for them. I mean, granted, back in the NES days, something like you know Castlevania or Friday the 13th game at the time, those weren't exactly like scary or even creepy that much. Because, you know, 8-bit graphics kind of do so much. But the medium has evolved. There's been some really cool, very interesting, scary experiences in games that I feel like made a mark on you and me, so we thought we'd talk about that. Like, I feel like, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I feel like horror games, more than most genres, actually are quite dependent on technological advances. Like, you can't, the way that we're going to talk, like, the way that games, at least for me, resonate as being, like, scary or whatever, um, you couldn't do that when they were so simple in form back in the day, because yeah, it I just was think, missing. I honestly can't think of an example there of aren't a scary any. Super Nintendo game? Uh, I mean, because, yeah, Maybe... Castlevania would be the closest, and that's more, not even, that's just gothic. <laughs> it's not even, like, yeah, scary. Well, yeah, and, it's, and it plays out more of an act, like an action game. Like, the closest yeah. thing I could think of, which is nowhere near a good example, it's just, um, I remember when I was little playing Animaniacs on the Super Nintendo, and there's a level that parries a Terminator. <laughs> I didn't expect Animaniacs to be the go-to for a first and... scary game. I mean, just like early things I can remember, and, mm-hmm. and I just remember there's a level where apparently the Terminator, you're running away from a robot that's just slowly inching towards you, and no matter what you do, like it, you can't really kill it. You're just running away and avoiding obstacles, and at one point you think it's dead, but then it jumps out of the fire, and I mean there was tension. It was like well, that that kind of scary. But... What's the thing about horror games? Is that's all you need in a, in a way? Because I feel like horror games, there's like some defining qualities that make a good horror game intention is one of them. So even if, like, you know, even if it is just Animaniacs or Super Nintendo, if it's tense enough that you feel, like, nervous about it and you feel on edge, isn't that step one towards a horror game? Like, isn't that on the right path, so to speak? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, because I think another one, like, it's tension, it's, like, isolation. Like, it doesn't have to be necessary, but a lot of the good horror games, you are by yourself or you're in a confined space where you're just alone, not sure what to do. I mean, this is very true of, like, Resident Evil, I feel like, um, particularly, like, early Resident Evil and then Revelations on 3DS, oh, which which are of, the ones... Uh, actually, Revelation I like a lot. Man, speaking of Revelation and Resident Evil, they also had a lot of jump scares, which I feel are also very important to a, a good horror game. 
Now, is there is there like a quantity of jump scare you feel is like acceptable well, or not? It it just depends. I I feel for a jump scare to be good or for a game to be like a really good horror game, it has to have like a nice balance between jump scares and tension. Right. That's because what I'm starting to get at. Too many jump scares will get old really fast, and a lot of tension without any jump scares just gets boring. Exhibit A, not a video game off the top of my head, uh-huh. but I just watched a recent horror movie called It Follows. It's pretty much all tension and no jump scares. Mm. Not that a movie or something needs jump scares to be scary, but I feel like jump scares jump scares feel like that payoff for all that waiting and all that waiting you're doing. The I mean, release, like, if you will. Yeah, like, like like you're letting like the the environment set the mood and everything's just building up. But I mean, it has to build up to something, and. I feel like it's always better in a video game, obviously, because you're in control. You're the one that's running away right, from things. Right, right. But, yeah, it, it follows this kind of build up and build up. And it was just never scary. I don't know if it was intentioned to be scary, which is, I guess it's like, well, I don't know. I guess I don't know what you are. It follows. You were just kind of boring, I guess, in the end. <laughs> right. But video games, especially, like, off the top of my head, like Resident Evil Revelations, that one, like, it had really good atmosphere. And this is less of an issue with... Yeah, like I said, like with video games and with movies, but at least with video games, almost every jump scare is a legitimate jump scare, as opposed to movies where they have the really annoying, like, fake jump scares, where it's just like, oh, you bumped into someone. Like, you think the killer's right behind you. Well, it's hard to do in a video game. Yeah. No, no, I mean, it's still doable. Like, it could just be, like, a flap opening or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, just, like, just false jumps. Yeah. And when movies abuse that, it really sucks and just gets annoying. It's like... Yeah, it's like you're. Like, yeah, well, yeah. That, it's back, not a real that goes back to what I was saying. Like, is there, you know, how many jump scares or two? Because like the, well, the well, worst well, example here that I could think of is remember the Skunk Bundle on Wii U. Oh, that was a horrible game. And their their idea of what was scary is you walk through this hotel. Never mind that's N64 graphics. Never mind that's playing a weird bad cover of Hotel California, which is definitely not licensed. Like, forget all that. But you would step over a certain point, and they're just like jump scare. But there'd be no tension or anything. You'd just make jump scare. And then they do it again in a different room. And then again and again and again. Like, it, yeah. I the think trigger didn't even go away. You could literally you like, could walk, back and forth. Yeah, you walk back and forth and just trigger it endlessly. Yeah. But, like, my, my point is, like, and there's some more legitimate games that probably abuse jump scares, too. But my point is, to your point, yeah, I haven't that played, you need I haven't played the balance. Though, but, yeah, like, I think um, that's why I feel like you can't really, I don't know. You, you need good jump scares. Like, even Luigi's Mansion, like, had a few good ones just because like it got really quiet sometimes and there were actually a few ghosts that whenever they pop up they're kind of big i'm mainly referring to the one that hangs from the ceiling in in the original right in the original yeah like and every time they come out like they're literally screaming and yeah they just like pop out of nowhere in front of you and it also like stuns luigi so it's kind of like a little jump scare i think luigi's mansion is interesting because it also goes back to thing i was saying before about how key isolation is because, like, you don't have to be, like, a quote-unquote scary game necessarily. Like, if you're able to nail the feeling of being isolated and you're in, like, a confined space and you don't really know what's going on, it could be a cartoony space, it could be a sometimes comical space, but if you get that right, your game is good at being a quote-unquote horror game, even if it's not actually, like, super scary like Luigi's Mansion. There could still be moments where you're like, oh, oh, okay. Like, that's the thing that games do well. Like, Resident Evil 1 in the mansion does it very well. Resident Evil Revelations takes the exact idea, but just does it on a boat, essentially, or a cruise ship. Resident Evil um, 7, same idea Yeah, but that game definitely house. was, like, a real horror game. It had oh, lot. I know, I know, but I'm just saying, like, 
it's the idea of like the the um confined space being by yourself that slow tension that comes with that not knowing what is around the corner lots of horror games use that to their advantage because obviously resident evil 4 is more open but still does scary things too so yeah i'm sort of splitting it off from horror games as a whole but absolutely yeah they are horror games first and foremost um i feel i think like you know it's not even just i think that's not even just the isolation it's also there's kind of a sense of like you need a sense of uncertainty right like because if you're i'm trying to think of a good example but it's not just like you're in a place and something comes out at you but it's the fact that you don't know what to expect if something is gonna come out at you and it's the lack of knowledge like you can't do a jump scare in an open world game you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I mean, you so I mean, you kind of you can have someone like pop out from behind a tree, but it's like, okay, if I didn't come to this tree, I wouldn't have been like it's just a random enemy. You know what I mean? Like it's not the same mindset because you don't have that slowly slowly building tension because you're just like out in the world. I mean, like I don't know Breath they... of the Wild or Red Dead Redemption, which Elvis is playing right over our shoulder over here. I don't think that could pull off a jump scare in a successful way that a horror game can, I don't know. or the same successful way. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I would have to see someone actually attempted to do that. But I feel like it can. Maybe. I don't know. Because, I mean, when you think open world, I mean, like, let me, like, going back to Friday the 13th. Right, the like, game from last episode, yeah. Yeah, like, that one is, it's kind of open. I mean, you pretty much run around in the same control space as you would, like, Red Dead Redemption. It's, like, third-person perspective. Right. The camera's pulled back about the same distance. You pretty much run anywhere you want. Right. And... You you definitely could get jump scared. It, it does come down to the way the other Jason plays. But well, you have that lingering tension of the unknown of where in that bigger but still confined mini open world is Jason at that moment. You know he's lurking. Your uncertainty is where. When you're in Red Dead and it's well, yeah, but 50 mile because, radius, but, but, eh, but could I'm, be anything but I mean, anywhere. Yeah, but it's sold as that. I mean, you know, like when you're playing Friday the 13th, you're playing like a horror game. It's not like you're playing Red Dead Redemption 2. Right. Like, no, well, that's, that's almost my point is like, I'm, but if you have a fully open world game, I mean, if, but you can't. Rep- the, what makes a horror? But if game you have work a fully you, open world game that's designed to be a horror game, then they would obviously figure something out. Sure, yeah, I guess. I, I guess mean, I'm just it's, saying it's, the not, most it's not like they're just gonna give you like a Breath of the Wild sized map and put like, all right, here's one monster. He'll eventually find you. Well, if yeah, anything, obviously. that's probably scarier because you really don't know when. If it's like, if anything, if they take the concept of it follows and apply it to that. And the concept of it follows in case you never saw it is essentially you have a really slow moving monster that knows exactly where you are and it's always pretty much walking in a straight line to you and you can't stop it. Uh-huh. So it's eventually going to reach You're you. You're saying it's almost as if it follows yes. you. So I imagine that being applied to Breath of the Wild. So there's like one monster, but maybe it doesn't walk slowly. Maybe it walks a little faster, but that'd be crazy like if you when you start off in that first peak where you see like a great vast distance you just see one thing like slowly walking yeah, towards you yeah I guess you, that could work and you could be like huh what's that and just keeps going towards you like, alright I'm gonna go ignore it but see then you go into like the temple of time then you just see it closer and it's still walking towards you and then it starts building but see and, even then or you know what you need to make that work because you can't just have that you still need it's not gonna attack you when you're talking to NPCs in a town that could. doesn't make but like how would I guess they could program it in? Yeah. So I guess they. It, I guess. Easily. I was thinking it, like it's like just, a constant in time. It's kind of like Dark Souls. You can't even pause the game because you'll get killed. Yeah. I get that. That see that element. See, because that that could totally work with that kind of monster. Like if you're in Zelda, like oh man, I have to go to this village to create, create the little side mission, but the monster's too close to me, right. so I can't right. actually go through with that side village. Or maybe you get so caught up in your cycle you forget about the monster altogether, and then you turn around and all of a sudden right behind you and you die. Yeah, I guess they could have a lingering creepy thing. I mean, I'm not a game designer, but 
there's obviously something they could do. Right, right. But you did raise an interesting point about not being able to pause. Because that... I think that factors into this too. Because a game like Zombie U, the thing I thought was super cool, and earlier you know how I was saying about like, oh, technology matters. Like you couldn't do a lot of the things. That I mean, that was literally that. Like, I mean... That's what I'm getting at. Zombie, zombie there's a zombie U. walking towards you. You're like, oh man, I need to go into my backpack, but I right. won't be able to see. Exactly. You could not do, to the point about like technology matters for horror games of all games, you could not do the sort of tension building uneasiness of zombie U where you do have to keep daisy like gazing between the wii u gamepad which has your inventory like a real backpack and what's going on on the screen to make sure you don't get jumped like you that's something you could not do before in games or since because no one else has the gamepad i guess you do it with the 3ds but like that's the type of thing where it's just like the technology really makes these games possible in a way that couldn't yeah and i mean in, in theory like actually it's not even in theory like in Sure, they can just like tilt the camera down, and you're looking at your backpack, and you can't see the thing. That's not the thing. No, yeah, no, yeah, that's it. But like the whole point that this stuff, like you have to move your head. Yeah, and I guess you know to to the open world point, Zombie U was more open than like Resident Evil or Luigi's Mansion or something, and it worked. It was basically an open world. Yeah, so I take back the open world thing. It, it and does that work. Had plenty of jump scares because I mean, it still had a bunch of like closed off sections that forced you to pass through certain objects, and those, I guess, for lack of a better term, had preset quick time events or right. quick time and see that, that's more what I mean so I guess yeah you could have open world and it could work but that's almost more what I was getting at is like the best type of scare is when you're in a small space you don't know what's going to happen or what's going to happen it can work sure with the Breath of the Wild scenario but that's more where my head was at when I was saying that at least because even in that scenario they still sort of put you in confined spaces and I'm sure it's very shadowy so there's uncertainty about what's even there the graphics aren't yeah. clear there's no and lighting I mean, it's all you know there's like Specific routes they can go to ensure you have a legitimate scare, opposed to just like this dude just bonked me on the head while I was talking to a random villager or whatever. You know, I mean, you can make it that boring you, if you want. I yeah, <laughs> I know, I know, I'm downplaying it, but but yeah, I, I, it really is to me at least the uncertainty, which is something like a lot of games do it visually. You know, they turn out the lights, they make things super shadowy. Like I was saying, they use a confined space, you don't know what's gonna happen, or you know, you're going down a hallway and dogs jump out and boom it's resident evil one's very famous dog moment you know stuff like that zombie dogs stuff like that happens but one thing i think is really cool is when games take these ideas and do them in a different way now i've actually played this myself but i like the concept of the sanity effects in eternal darkness because it's basically taking everything we just discussed the idea of like uncertainty and you know this kind of sense of is something wrong is there's tension building but instead of it being in game it's very meta in a way that it's like you and what your tv is doing and yeah 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 you can nitpick about well my tv's ui doesn't look like that when i changed the volume but the game did or the gamecube doesn't say that when the disc doesn't work it does this instead but like just if you're in the moment and it starts glitching out you think it's glitching out like it's a very cool I like the idea but i don't like that when like say if it says like oh your game is corrupted and it lingers there for a little while i don't like that there's a possibility that someone might think like oh i guess i'm gonna reset it really fast and then they turn it off and then turn it back on if they were smart, they would do a save state right before they did that. I, I mean, don't know if they did. I've never played it. I, I just know. like the concept. I mean, in theory, if you're playing that kind of game, you would probably be saving any chance you get. Yeah. Which would make turning it off probably the faster option kind of... But, I mean, they did that. advertise it as being like it's not just the game. It's more than the game. So I hope people figure it out. I mean, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't remember a big outcry in 2002. No, I know. I'm but maybe. But, I mean, you played a little bit, didn't you, back in the day? Yeah, it wasn't... The sanity meter wasn't that... Special. Really? Because it's such a cool concept. That's unfortunate that they sort I mean, of under. I, I think it's because they advertise it, or if, uh, I mean, or by that time. I mean, 
pretty much anytime anything weird happens in the game, it's like, oh, okay, I guess I have to wait now. Because conceptually, it is like the next logical step for a horror game. I mean, it only like instead of what's happening in the game, it's happening to you outside the game. It's like The Ring, but video games. Conceptually, they they still have to figure out a better way to do it than just making it a the game's unplayable now. Right. Because that's not scary. That's just annoying. Right. Right. I mean, they have unless you're like a little kid that doesn't know any better. Like, if you give this to someone that doesn't know a game is, like, capable of doing that, then that'd be awesome. Cause In then... other words, they shouldn't have advertised it. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. So the, so the concept is fine. It's just that Nintendo then really promoted it heavily that made it. So it's not really the game's fault. It's more of the surrounding circumstance. Yeah. Yeah, that's still unfortunate. But, I mean, maybe they'll get a second chance because uh, Dennis Dyack, the guy who made Eternal Darkness, um, he actually just announced a new game the other day. It's called Dead House Sonata. And his plan is to bring it to all consoles, which presumably means Switch. Um, it'll apparently combine a lot of his past work, so he described it as having like the Lovecraftian vibe of Eternal Darkness, like the gothic RPG elements of Legacy of Kane, and then the action RPG components of Two Human, which, as you remember, Two Human is going to be this huge thing and it didn't do so hot. But what's interesting about this is it is free-to-play. And I don't know what this means in terms of he's going to... It's a free-to-play action RPG, so I don't know what this means in terms of, like, is he going to try doing some sort of outside-the-box horror thing again? Is he even going to be horror? Is it going to be more action RPG? But this is the guy who, at one point, had this idea for Eternal Darkness. And if they manage to keep it under wraps, something like that, and then actually do it, and maybe tie in, like, the monetization schemes or something in some weird way, like things are glitching with your transactions or whatever, I don't know how that would work. But potentially that could be kind of cool, just in like the something that only a horror game could do versus like a horror movie or a horror TV show. But we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, honestly, I would have preferred if he didn't do this game and stuck with his Shadows of the Eternal project. That was a Kickstarter. It failed twice because this guy underdelivers, unfortunately. But um, it was supposed to be the spiritual successor of Eternal Darkness. So either if he does that or if Eternal Darkness 2 rolls around with Curse of Nintendo, I mean, they keep copywriting it. But there is chance there that that to me at least feels like the next step of horror games is it made by silicon knights or that is correct and he was the head of the company and then the company disbanded no longer exists i don't even know how he's making these games but but yeah just like he his head's in the right place let's just see if he can back it i guess is what i'm saying but yeah it's it's interesting because horror games are it's weird because you know you shouldn't be scared in the same way you know you shouldn't be scared about a movie but yet, you still can be. I or, guess. like, theme park. If you go to, exactly. like, Not Scary Farm or... Yeah. I mean, you know, like, they can't hurt you or touch you, but people still scare So, what was, like, what was for you in honor of Halloween? What was your scariest game moment? Like, what was the moment... Or not scared, but what was the moment that actually, like, got the most visceral reaction out of you? It didn't have to be, like, a jump scare necessarily, but, like... Because I know for me, it was Resident Evil 7 in VR when he does the thing with the teeth. And he like comes at you, you know, pull your teeth and comes at you with pliers or whatever it is. You know, you're like tied uh-huh. to the chair, and I and you are sitting in a chair with the VR. So I get like they they mirror that, and I I didn't think he would do it, but my subconsciously my jaw clenched like really hard, like I knew he wouldn't do it, and I've never had that sort of reaction to a game before. I'm like, wow, this is this is kind of cool. Like, did you did you ever have anything like that with any of your games, or besides, I guess jump, or even just a jump? Was there a good jump in a game? Oh yeah, it's always going to be a jump scare for me, like something that would get me like that. Um, I remember Elvis and I were playing Amnesia a long time ago, which is touted as being like a really good horror game. Right. We actually never finished it because I think at the time we were just like, no, we're we're good, because <laughs> it was just 
too scary? I guess it was, yeah, because like it just has it just builds such good atmosphere. But because of that good atmosphere, you're pretty much just you're always anticipating like like the next like scary. You're like, oh, where's right. it gonna come you're from? You're just constantly on edge. So, yeah, so you're just like always tense that you don't really want to move, mm-hmm. which is a really good feeling because that's what you want to feel in that kind of game. But then you're also too afraid to play. And also, it physically gets tiring if you're on that. You know, if you're physically that tense. It actually makes it harder to play for a very long period of time. You're better off with short bursts at that point. And I don't remember the first situation 100%, but I just remember, like, I'm walking down a corridor, and then mm-hmm. I don't remember what triggered it, but, like, you're just walking down, and then, like, something, like, startles you. Like, I think it's, like, a big noise, and I think, like, it implies you have to run into a room. And then this part I just remember. Like, I remember, like, you're pretty much hiding in a room because of that initial jump scare. And then something's just, like, banging on the door trying to get in. Because you know there's a monster around. Uh-huh. And then you can't really peek. You just, like, hear it break in. And you hear it, like, walk around looking for you. And you're just, and then your character's just, like, kind of breathing heavily. And you're just like, oh, man, I hope it doesn't find me. Right, and eventually right. it just leaves. And, like, you hear that, like, okay, the coast clear. And then you start walking a little bit. And you're like, all right, cool. And the other one at the time I thought was pretty scary was um, we were in this, like, basement that was flooded also and, in amnesia we're still yeah, in amnesia. Yeah, amnesia and we're just like you have to jump from crate to crate uh, at least that's like what we assumed because there were a bunch of crates like conveniently spaced out well, let's be honest that's a video game trip of course yeah. you jump from the crate yeah exactly crate. yeah i mean they're conveniently spaced out so it's like all right that's obviously what you have to do mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. the moment we like we missed a jump and we like barely stepped on the water and then all of a sudden these like giant splashes start like coming towards you like in a like a footstep formation and that was like pretty starting. We were like, "Whoa!" And then like, we like jump back on the crane. And, like, okay, that's so scary. That's the perfect example of combining a jump scare with like ice or not isolation. Sorry, with um uncertainty, because you can be like, "Oh, it's a video game thing," but it's probably dark, right? You could, it was no, just... it was pretty bright. Oh, was it? Oh, yeah. okay. I assumed it was in the shadows. No, because I mean, it. I mean, it's still. I mean, I guess in metaphoric, you could say the monster was in the shadows because oh, we true. didn't know we were going to be dealing with right. an invisible monster, right? And then we fell into the water game. We tried to run, but it caught up to us and you just died. But you couldn't see what killed you. We didn't know what it was. It, the giant splash of the water and the sound effect was enough to like scare you initially. And the biggest twist, we didn't even they feel- never rendered it in the first place. Yeah, because we didn't even know there was a threat to begin yeah. with. We just thought yeah. like, oh. So that's just a really good jump scare. Yeah. Never mind my isolation uncertainty. But stuff. it was all like due to the environment. I mean, we knew we were playing a scary game. We knew like something. Yeah, something we didn't necessarily happen. know something was going to happen then, but I mean, right? But if it was yeah. in the Banjo Kazooie, you wouldn't have had that reaction because you're not, well, you're not primed for it because it's not the right environment and not the right setting and not the right genre. Yeah, yeah, and even then, like, um, I mean, who didn't like the the piano in Mario for like give a little jump scare too, like in Mario sixty four? Oh yeah, yeah. Because I mean, you are entering a haunted house, but you're like, all right, I'm probably not going to get scared, but it is a haunted house. But and then you go to that room with the piano and you just get near it and it starts like chomping away and yeah that's definitely enough to get like anyone that doesn't see it coming at all like mm-hmm. just like a little jump and that, I would say that's a pretty good set of jump scares it's almost like it's like oh Nintendo you rascals <laughs> oh you yeah no that's true um I guess the only other final thought on horror games before we move on to other stuff is just a heads up everyone Resident Evil Zero One and Four are all coming to Switch next year. Um, Capcom tweeted this heads up and promised more info soon, meaning we know literally nothing. All they did was the tweet. We have no idea which versions of the game. We have no idea if they'll adapt the Wii version's motion controls. All we know is it's happening. 
Um, but considering is how it the GameCube one, it's the PS4. Yeah, one? I assume it's one of the HD ones is where they got PS, graphed over is it the motion. PlayStation one. Who knows? Who knows? But this will mark. This is the sure sign what of your con. What? Yeah, imagine if it's just the PlayStation. Oh, um, yeah, the original. But this is a sure sign that your console is doing well because Resident Evil Four has been on every single home platform since the original Xbox. The original Xbox was the last system to not have it. GameCube was the first, and every single one since it's had. Even Wii U. Wait, so, the Xbox never got it. No, it came out after. It, no, it was a GameCube exclusive, and then it went to PS4, and then it jumped to the next gens. Yeah, mm. but yeah. So um, we were saying earlier that Resident Evil, you know, it's great at the whole like isolation and all that. So if you want to experience that and somehow haven't, here is your twelfth opportunity to do so, but not till twenty nineteen. Yeah. Maybe that's the scariest. Resident part Evil of One and Zero being more similar games, like yeah, One and Zero cameras. are cut from the same cloth. Yeah, four, four is the one that branches out. Yeah, that one's still kind of corridory, but definitely more action see that's what's interesting about 4 to me is like because when I was saying like the whole open world thing I was like having trouble wrap my head around a game of a horror game open world because I was thinking Resident Evil 4 they try and make it look like a little like not open world but you do go different environments I mean, you're it, outside you have the illusion buildings, of open world but it's still corridors it's like Metroid Prime because yes. Metroid Prime is literally just corridors you can't really explore like an open yeah. world it's just corridor after corridor and maybe like a big room right but right. that's pretty much Resident Evil 4 which is, is like in my mind because Resident Evil is like in many ways the pinnacle of these sorts of games in my mind I was like oh yeah because even when they do open world they don't really do open world because you need that controlled environment was my thinking at the time but yeah anyway so that's horror games happy Halloween everyone um sort of funny coincidence here we called the episode Ghost of Games Past right and um we had a different kind of that in in uh, Pokemon Go because you just started playing that again so it is like a ghost of your past a gaming ghost of your past coming back uh so what is it I mean, I know the answer. I'm just queuing you up here. What is it that got you to play Pokemon Go again? Um, just that chat tots in I the game. That's it? Just yeah, chat tot? That's it. I mean, it's funny because we both have our favorite Pokemon in Gen 4, and both of them came out in the first wave of Gen 4 Pokemon. Like, you've got chat tot. I've got Bidoof. Um, and I guess a reason to go to South America. Or yeah, because it's region water. locked. Yeah, that's the only bummer. Um the, 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 I, I should be clear because like Bidoof is having a moment on the internet and I and you can back me on this because you've known me long enough I was into Bidoof before he was a meme I was a Bidoof hipster like I was into him when Diane Pearl first came out at which point you didn't know me but by college you knew me and I was already all in on Bidoof so this isn't like he essentially an, this isn't the forgot, new thing he essentially forgot Bidoof existed every day until like Bidoof picture came up like oh I like that Pokemon and that's pretty much it which is how I expressed my fandom of Pokemon in college I wasn't as gung-ho mm-hmm. about it as I am now yeah there's a period there where I was like a lap kind of like you with Pokemon Go I was just I was like aware of it and I'd be like that guy's cool but Doof's the best but I wouldn't like think about it ever but then yeah sure. if, if you've ever met Jason he definitely he almost looks like don't say I look like a Bidoof <laughs> don't you don't. first of all people can find pictures of me on the internet at JSR7 yeah. on Twitter and you know what actually folks tweet me if I look like a Bidoof you basically you, you give me. I give, don't have the buck teeth. No, but you give off like a Badoof like aura. I'm a doofus, is what you're saying? A Badoofus? I'm a Badoofus? No, because that's not even an insult. If it's Badoof in the name, I'll take it. I, I guess if someone were to like draw Badoof as a human, that you'd be it. I guess. You know, better Badoof than his evolution, who somehow looks even worse. So, like Badoof is like adorable, weird. His evolution is like, ooh, he's like an awkward teenage phase version yeah, of Badoof. He just looks like a bigger one. Nah, the- his eyes are all beady and his like. And his neck's really stretched. He looks like he's going through like scrawny, awkward teenage year thing. But as Bidoof. Wait, Bidoof's either beady. No, this guy's look beadier because he's like rings around him. No, oh, yeah. well, I mean, his eyes are bigger though. I mean, he actually has pupils and irises. 
that's what's weird is the iris makes it weird because the pupils are the exact same ratio to the rest of his eye but they're oh. yeah i'd rather have just the dots and the eye not the iris anyway i'm curious like as um as long time listeners as long time listeners i can talk know about our pokemon go habits like i never really stopped playing pokemon go you seem to have taken the approach of ditching the game until the Pokemon you care about was in the game, and now you're back. And my approach is just, I'll keep playing until Bidoof's here, and then I guess I'll just still play after that. So, my, my point here is that there, you went from playing bare-bones Pokemon Go to playing fully-featured Pokemon Go in its current form. You know, you have raids, friends, gifts, trades, all sorts of quality-of-life adjustments, etc., etc. So, it's someone... That's only now getting back into it. I, I've been there for the whole evolution of it. So I'm like each step away. I'm like, this is such an improvement. But as someone who went from basically zero to 60 on it, is there enough in that? Well, first of all, what do you think of it now as an outsider? And two, are there enough to hooks completely to keep honest, you in it? I thought it didn't really feel any different. I didn't even well, have really you, know. you haven't done Rage or anything, have well, you? Well, no, that's like, um, I mean, I knew about Rage, but like, I don't know. I couldn't tell you what was originally in there, what wasn't. It's pretty different. Like, no, I, I, I'm, right, I'm right, sure it yeah, is, yeah. but, like, it didn't feel any more engaging or unengaging than before. Interesting, because they've done if, a if, lot. If anything, the only thing that was, like, oh, this is interesting is now they have, like, little animated cutscenes where Professor whatever his name Willow. is. Is it Willow? It's Willow. Oh, man, I was going to say that, but I wasn't sure. You, you just got to believe in yourself. Well, Professor whatever his name is. Um, Willow. Yeah. <laughs> whenever Professor whatever his name is. Willow. Professor whatever um, like, has like, like little a tree because there's oak and there's willow. I know, whatever. Willow, <laughs> that could be. <laughs> Just a little animated scenes of him talking to you. Mm-hmm. That was the only part that made me go like, "Oh, this is neat." But like what he was telling you didn't matter because what they've done is in addition. I mean, you know this, but in addition to collecting Pokemon, what he's telling you about is field research. Where if you do certain tasks, you get new items that then get you more Pokemon. Or if you do enough of the tasks, you get access to exclusive Pokemon. Like Suicane right now is available only through field research. So that all just kind of washed over you? Like it wasn't enough to hook you? Yeah. Interesting. It, I mean, I suspect it because you're all about the battles and those... Even like the... And those don't exist. Those so. don't exist. That's what Let's Go is ultimately for in a way. Yeah, and I mean... No, it's... it's what the, if... I still don't really... That's the thing, like... I only... Catching has always been the least favorite part right, of Pokemon Which is still me, what this is. Which yeah. is still what that is. But catching the Pokemon I like is fun. And looking for those Pokemon that I like is fun. You're so self-centered. I mean, it makes sense. Well, I mean... You <laughs> yeah, you care about what you care about. Yeah. yeah. So once you have Chat Taught, what do you plan to do with it? Nothing. You're just going to delete the game again? Or are you... Go like admire it once a day. Like, what's your end game? Ha, end game. Just let it float there. I mean, that works. I mean, I'm capturing like the Pokemon that I like. Right, not the the only Pokemon I like. Well, let me ask you this: What if you weren't catching Pokemon? What if it was Catholic Saints? That's this is a thing. Um, I'm actually all on board for that. Are you? Are you? Because because uh, it's courtesy of the Vatican. I mean, it's an officially holy sanctioned. Holy cow! Why didn't you tell me this sooner? It's an officially. Oh, holy! I see what you did there. Holy cow! Mm-mm, that's a false god. Uh, what you? What it? Jesus. Uh, there you go. It is called Jesus. It's follow G A C Go. Wow, I said that weird. J C Go, and it's from the Vatican. It's official. And not only can you catch saints, it can track your prayers for you and tell you how many times you prayed that day. Doesn't that sound like a grand old time? But no, the real the real reason I was asking is because your situation, not so much your preferences of Pokemon to catch or, you know, is it enough to hook you, but your situation with Pokemon Go is becoming an increasingly common one. Like more 
and more people seem to be hopping back in to the point that Pokemon Go, I just read this the other day, for the first time in quite a while, was the number one top-grossing iOS app in the United States just the other day around the time of Gen 4's launch. And then there's also data from Sensor Tower, the analytics firm, that shows that Pokemon Go is making a ton of money. Like Nintendo's own mobile games, you know, like Fire Emblem Heroes in September, Fire Emblem Heroes made 16.8 million bucks, which is respectable. But Pokemon Go in that same month made $85 million. So there's a huge, you know, there is this growing base of Pokemon Go fans. I mean, there's even, you were about to say something I saw. Well, yeah. Go ahead. No, if it wasn't for um, the friends that I just befriended. Yeah. Or I guess friended for the first time. I don't remember if that was a thing. Friending's new. Oh. um, I probably would have deleted the game already again. Hmm. Just like, even though chat's out there, I mean, he's in another continent. South America only, yeah. Or South, Southern Hemisphere. Only. Yeah, Southern yeah. Hemisphere. Yeah. And, yeah, overall, like, I still don't feel motivated to play it enough. Because like, you're not into the catching, which yeah. is the whole hook. But, I mean, raid battles are but great. But when people send me gifts, it's like, oh, man, like, I feel bad. I, have to, like, I guess I'll stick with it. No, I'm just kidding. But So you're peer pressured into playing Pokemon Go. I don't know. I, I think I need... I don't know what I need. Um, you need battles. They are going to have... Uh, Player versus player battles, but it's probably gonna be tap and do nothing. That's by the end of the year, they say. Well, at least at the very least, somebody's gonna catch my Ninja Turtle team, and then we'll see. We'll go from right. there. Because yeah, right. I mean, you you may be falling to the wayside, but do have you like seen some of the coverage of what, like Pokemon it's Go? The really crowds, the crowds are like back at near launch period sizes. Like they last month had. Pokemon Go Community Day, which for those listening who may not keep up with that, um, there are these once-a-month events. Specific Pokemons rolled out in mass for a couple hours on one day of the weekend, sometimes two, and they come with a special move and or a shiny variety. And it was like, it was it was Beldum this time around, and there are also Mewtwo raids going on. And like, there are photos and videos from Spain, uh, Mexico, Singapore, what's the last one? Chile, I think, Chile. And, um, the crowds are huge and they're running around it's like back in the day where like people are stopping traffic to get a Charizard or whatever like it's almost that level in these countries which is crazy because you know why a little while ago it was nothing no one really cared like even Actoli you mentioned some of your, you know you have friends on there and, and honestly, there's a lot of like, people we know that are suddenly into it again yeah and I think to kind of expand on that a little bit yeah like the fact that like those friends that are playing and especially like some of the friends on there that I don't really have like any other game that I'm playing with mm-hmm like, there's one friend that lives in San Diego that, like, friended me on there. Me and, too. It's the same friend. Yeah. And, Hi, friend, if you're listening. <laughs> and, and, that, and that's almost, like, motivating enough, like, to keep playing. And then yeah. I have, like, another friend locally here that has, like, like pretty much, like, every Pokemon. He's, like, the Pokemon Go master. Hmm. Like, as far as I'm, like... I'm do I know this person? Yeah, you do. But, oh, okay. Um, but also, I guess, sort of. Oh, I'm okay. Sure. So it's not who I'm thinking of. And, uh, yeah, so, like, if I ever need, like, to finish up my roster, I could definitely just go to him. Intrigue. Yeah, so... When I'm playing with, with him or, like, I guess the friends, like, I guess that makes it fun. But I guess alone is – I guess when I'm not doing so, that. So that's super interesting because I'm the same way. So I've talked on the show before about how I have my coworkers I go play with. And we were a group of eight, and then we became, like, a group of 15. That group keeps growing. It's now – like, this is obviously anecdotal. Not everyone has this scenario. But there are now over 30 people in our little Google Hangout chat at work announcing raids, announcing when there's special Pokemon around, that sort of thing. And then when we go to these raids, you can only max out at 20 – so there's like the 30 of us, sometimes up to 30, sometimes a little less because people have work to do. Um, but then there's also a second regional Facebook group that shows up. We have we almost every single time for legendaries now have to fill two. We not yeah we fill two full 
20-person raid rooms, so to speak, like lobbies for any major raid. Like, there are 40 people playing. And honestly, if it wasn't for coworkers that played, if it wasn't for having raids right there at my office, yeah, I'm probably in the same boat as you. There is not a ton to do that's of interest if you're just playing solo. But what I have noticed is because I have all this going on at work, because I have these raids and whatnot, I will on the weekend when I'm just at home or whatever, I will open Pokemon Go and see what's going on for a little bit just so I can keep up with what everyone else is doing back at work or exchange gifts or what have you. So yes, it is very much a social game. So if you don't have the like social group that's into it, yeah, I could see how none of this would be enough to keep you hooked. And even if you do, if you don't like see them all the time or like you're not at work and they're just like, let's go do a raid right now and you do that every single day. I could see how interest would wane pretty quick until you know yeah, until chat it's, it's pops up. Like the only reason I still open the app from time to time mainly is just to make sure I open the gifts. Right. I used to be very bad at opening. Just to build up the friendship levels. Yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, that's yeah. It's they've always built it as a social game. They've always sort of promoted it as a social game. It's about getting out and meeting people. That's always what the ta- like the pitch has been. And this is just it. And it's not quite, but close to final form. But yeah, it seems like of all, like, because you even care on some level, because you're making sure your friends are happy, and when you're with friends, you seem to be having a decent enough time. And it seems like really the only person who doesn't care whatsoever, friends or otherwise, and it pains me to say this, is former President Barack Obama. Now, the fact they even brought this up is kind of silly, but you saw you saw his egregious act, I assume, right? Nope. No? All right. Well, he's doing a video to promote voting in the upcoming midterm, which, by the way, everyone listening, regardless of your political views, go vote important and uh anyway he's doing a video to promote that and when discussing the excuse of not voting because you don't care he does like a side turn to the camera and it's just like hey i don't care about pokemon but that's not going anywhere kind of logic being i thought he said it but that keeps me coming back but that keeps on coming back mm-hmm. yeah like yeah, it comes yeah back. i did see it i guess ah uh, you well thank you for saying it up so i can explain it cleanly but uh yeah so it's it's kind of like a throwaway line but it's just like yeah i I liked Obama up until he didn't like Pokemon. No, but uh, well, for anyone who hasn't seen it and wants to see a the former leader of the free world diss Pokemon with a side glance, uh, we'll link to the video on the episode's blog post. On this episode's blog post, you know, if you if you just know, your heart will be shattered into a million pieces. So mine was. So be careful. Trigger warning. But anyway, uh, the broader point here is that Pokemon Go really is kind of ramping up in some significant ways it feels like and you know outside of your circumstance just like in terms of mass like in raw numbers and it does seem like it is a pretty perfect window of opportunity for nintendo because pokemon let's go is out in like three weeks and what really, really struck it's in yeah it's on the 16th and we're oh. currently recording on the 26th this goes up on the 28th so like three weeks but what really strikes um, me as impressive here is I remember back when Let's Go was first announced and everyone's like, oh, this is a year too late. Like, what's Nintendo doing? And now if you look at how Nintendo and Niantic have handled Pokemon Go these last few weeks, pretty masterful how they're rolling it out. I mean, I don't believe for a second. There's no way any of this is a coincidence. Like, sure, maybe Nintendo couldn't anticipate how many people will get back into Go, but just like just follow along with what they've done in the past few weeks. So first they did Chikorita Community Day a month ago, right? And that was the surprise of Meltan being revealed. And that built up hype for Let's Go because he's only available through Let's Go. But it's kind of a cool, organic way where people got to, like, discover a Pokemon. I thought it was a nice throwback to the days of, like, elementary score. It's like, what's a Blue? Is that sort of vibe? Um, but then, so they do that. Then, like, two weeks later, they roll out Generation 4. Only to then ramp things up, like, crazy after that by having the Beldum Community Day that weekend. And then right after that, like, a day or two later, they kick off their Halloween event, which has both a new raid for a new Legendary... 
uh, Giratina or Giratina or Granada, as I keep calling him for some reason. And then separately next Saturday, they have a second raid for a special Gengar, and only next Saturday. And then in tandem with all that, they have Pokemon Go's community team online doing, like, leaning in all the way on the Bidoof memes and doing a Bidoof Appreciation Day, which... I appreciate that they appreciate him, but more to the point, it was a social media thing, but it drew even more attention. And now couple all that with the Pokemon Go announcements they keep making, like, you know, how to catch Meltran, or Meltan, the fact that Meltan can evolve, plans to introduce a mode that lets you use Pokemon Go running in the background, so you don't have to have the app running to track your steps and stuff, like all these, which by the way, that one, that doesn't sound like a big deal, but that is a huge quality of life improvement, to not have it constantly on your screen running, you just have it in the background, that's... That's big. But anyway, uh, all of these things just kept go in the headlines over and over and over, almost daily on both tech and game sites. Like you said, you couldn't escape it, right? Like it's everywhere. Yeah, I was basically drowning in it. Yeah, it's it's all of this gets people to perhaps give it another shot, which in turn may just sell them on Pokemon Let's Go if they like what they've seen. It's it's the halo effect that they talked about when they first launched Go, just in like full effect. I mean, the, the idea that the mobile app will sell the games to... We'll sell the games on decade console. That's nothing new, but just like the intensity at which all this is happening, and Pokemon goes like the it thing again for at least a little while. But conveniently, right as you go into Let's Go, it, it's this is how Pokemon Go is always supposed to work. This was probably the dream from the start. The problem was Niantic was just so overwhelmed back in the day for so long by the huge already success that they just couldn't reach this point until now. But now that's here, and to see it in action, it's I've got to hand it to Niantic, Pokemon Company, Nintendo. They are nailing it. It is a very impressive like ecosystem they're building around this and getting people involved and people that don't care about these games to be super invested and be interested potentially in let's go or buying a switch or whatever i mean there was um did you see did you see that collaboration pokemon's doing with the uh, tokyo museum of art i think metropolitan museum of art where they're taking edward uh, munch's the scream or putting pokemon into it instead oh yeah so there's one of psyduck who looks like completely overwhelmed and that's how I feel about all the Pokemon Go activity going on right now. Like, it's just like, it's it's insane. There's just so much. It's a lot. It's all happening at once, and it's really it's really well done. So I, I got to hand it to Niantic. I'm, I'm impressed. It's pretty cool. But I, I did want to break things down a little bit, if you would indulge me, Mr. You Only Care About Chat Talk, because I kind of breezed over a couple announcements that actually seem interesting, and one of them... Chat Talk, I've said over and over. I know. At least, like, 30 I know. Pokemon, like... I know. Okay, Chat Talk plus 30 others. Um... No, but uh, indulge me a bit because there's a couple things they're doing within Pokemon Go and Let's Go that I feel like are plays to get the core involved, and I'm kind of curious what your take on it is. So first up is the one that's not really about your perspective of Pokemon, and that's good old Meltan. So we know officially he's a mythical Pokemon. Uh, the only way to catch him is going to be linking up Go and Let's Go. In other words... Nintendo just kind of mastermind how to get completionists to buy a Switch and buy Let's Go, or at least have a friend who has a Switch with Let's Go, because seriously, the the like the only way to get this thing is to link them together. Like the the whole approach is kind of a cool reward for those who do buy the uh, Let's Go. So basically, whenever you transfer Pokemon into Let's Go, be it from your own copy or a friend's, you'll be given a mystery box, and when that box is opened, it'll trigger Meltans to appear on your specific map only. And then when the box closes after whatever the time span is, you will have to reopen it with a new transfer to Let's Go. To get another Meltan opportunity. And it's absolutely gimmicky. Like 100%. But if you were... Let's say you did care about catching. If you were vested... If you were invested in Go. 
would something like this actually convince you to buy Let's Go? Like, if you're like, oh, I gotta catch them all, and then they're like, well, you have to buy this other game, and then this box comes out, or is it too much of an obvious gimmick for, like, average Joe gamer? I mean, my only qualm with Let's Go was that it isn't, like, a fully featured Pokemon game. Right. If that wasn't the issue, then I would definitely buy it regardless, even if it didn't Right, but I mean, like, if think of it, like, almost the other way. Like, if you play Go religiously, and you were, and then they're like, hey... Like, I mean, is there ever a game where there's so much dedication to collect, our, to finishing I mean, everything that you would actually go buy I mean, if I'm thinking religiously, I guess if I already had a Switch, I guess I would definitely get a go. Yeah, so it does kind of work. To finish both games, I guess. Right, yeah, because I, I at least think it's kind of neat. I mean, the same, the same, I don't, I think that's neat. I don't think it's neat how Meltan's evolution works, though. Um, the evolution itself is fine. His name's mm-hmm. Mel Metal, which is funny. And basically, he's Meltan wearing a Hulkbuster suit, which is great. But the canon, the explanation they came up with for the evolution is just... Like, the other one's a gimmick, but it's like, okay, I get it. And, like, you know, if you were in the right mindset, you'd buy it. If I was in the right mind... Well, I am buying it. But, if, you know, if I was a completionist, I'd totally buy it. But the thing with... The thing with Meltan's evolution is, like, it's just so transparently a Pokemon Go gameplay gimmick. Unlike other Pokemon... Meltan only evolves when you bunch them, a lot of them together. They literally meld together, which translates to in Pokemon. Makes sense. In Pokemon Goese, you need to catch a bunch of them to evolve them, which is the entire mechanic of Pokemon Go. Like instead of having like some lore about the evolution or having it be just like, yeah, they evolve and how this game does it is through candy. They're literally like, this Pokemon is the candy system. Which is just like, why do you, why? I mean, it does make sense on some level, but it's just so, to me, obvious. Well, they're going to retroactively make it so, like, if you have three Magnemites, you get a Magneton. Well, see, that, 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 Diglets, that's the point. You get a Dugtrio. That's my, that's my, not concern, but that's my, like, thing about this, is they can't just artificially shove, well, this guy, it's because you get 400 of them, they all come together. That's how many candies it takes, by the way, 400. So either you catch them, or you trade them, or you give them rare candies, whatever it may be. You get 400 together, and then boom, you got a, mel- a Melmetal, it's like, cool, but all the other group-together Pokemon still have, like, other explanations. So how come this guy's this guy? Like, why is he Why is he just the, the gimmick of the gameplay and everything else? Like, oh, no, 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 it's because when when three Diglets like each other, they form a pack, put on some beach bum wigs, and they become low and dug trios together. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they don't do that. So it just feels really forced to me that they're doing it this way. I don't know, it's just odd. But the broader idea of hooking more core players into Go by getting them or into Let's Go by giving them a perk of Go in Go with Meltan is certainly an interesting one. Like, I think that's cool. I just don't like how they're explaining it away. But, yeah. But there's another thing they're trying to do to entice core fans. This is more what I'm curious about for you. Uh, so they are coming up with a new post-game feature in Let's Go. It's called Master Trainers. And this, to me at least, is a much better integration of a basic Pokemon Go gameplay component into, like, the core Pokemon experience. So how it works is that once you beat in the Elite Four, you can hunt down and challenge 151 different trainers, each of whom is somewhere in Kanto you have to find and specializes in one Pokemon only. The thing is, you can't actually battle them with anyone. You can only battle them with that exact Pokemon. So if you want the title of Master Tangela Trainer, for example, you better go train up your Tangela and then go hunt down the existing guy or gal somewhere in Kanto, battle, the, battle them with no items, no other Pokemon, it's 1v1, and if you win, you become the Master Trainer. And it automatically sets both Pokemon's level to 50? I don't know. I don't think so. Because... I don't think so. You have to train it up. That's the... Because the, the most hardcore areas in core Pokemon games, they set all Pokemon levels to 50, 
That way... Oh, do you mean the Master Trainer's Pokemon is at level 50 or yours becomes level 50 when you battle? Both. I don't... No, you have to train it up. It's a way to get your grind. Well, I mean, it also sets yours to 50, but then you have weaker stats. Yeah, no, this this won't do that. You go in with your exact Pokemon. And, it, like, what I think is clever about it is this folds Pokemon Go's insistence on repeatedly catching Pokemon over and over and over with the core game's idea of training and stat building your Pokemon. Because essentially, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but you'll need to hunt down and catch all these Pokemon, right? Which for common ones, sure, you can always find them in the wild in normal Pokemon games. That's doable. But for starters, for legendaries, you know, that sort of stuff, you you only had access to one in the normal Pokemon games. Unless you were training with a friend or online or whatever, but you had to like really go out of your way to get another one. You basically only got one Charmander one time or one Mewtwo or whatever. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here at Pokemon Go on my phone. I have four Mewtwo's and I have like a dozen uh, Regiice and whatnot. So or Regice, not Regiice. Uh, so when it comes time to actually try to earn this Master Trainer tile that they're pitching, even, you know, for something like the Charmander lineage. In a normal Pokemon game, that'd be near impossible because you have to have a Charmander, a Charmeleon, a Charizard. But the way Pokemon Go's built, you do catch all these different Charmanders, and then you can evolve into Charmeleons or into Charizard. I mean, you could breed. You could breed. You could, yeah, you could breed. You could trade. But it's so much easier to just import them from Go. Like they're basically taking the core concept of Go, which is catch them all over and over and over, and giving you a Pokemon core game training grind to then do with all these Pokemon, and then go and battle people. And make it really not just about, not just about like, oh, I have the more powerful Charmander, but perhaps you start looking up what the moves these Master Trainers have are, and you specifically give moves to your new Charmander to be able to outdo that Charmander or whatever. Like, it seems like a lot more strategic mm-hmm. in a different way, which to me seems like a play to get core players way more interested or get battlers like you more interested, which of course begs the question, is this appealing at all? Like, because it is kind of what you do, it's a source put through a different siphon on the way or like a different filter i mean i love the idea just can't wait for it to be implemented in a core pokemon game fair yeah so i i didn't necessarily think that you were gonna like I, it doesn't change what i think about yeah pokemon yeah i don't go, think you're but, gonna buy go but just but um, i love that idea because then it almost kind of in the same way how you said that it reemphasizes pokemon go's whole thing about catching pokemon over and over again mm-hmm. Um, breeding is a huge thing in modern Pokemon games and crossbreeding moves and figuring out what moves are transferable uh-huh. and Cerebi.net is like an excellent source for that Cerebi.net's great for they, they're so on top of things oh yeah yeah that, that Joe Merrick definitely deserves is, a lot of props he also makes you feel really old because he always tweets the anniversaries of Pokemon games yes he does yeah it's very depressing yeah but it's interesting I, I, I really like that idea yeah, I think I think it's interesting. I mean, it's something I guarantee. I can guarantee you right now, I will never ever do that. Like, I don't have the patience for that. I don't play my games long enough for that. But for someone who is super into raising Pokemon and training, like you, it seems like a really cool thing. Because not only do you get to do it and you get these titles, but then if you go play online in Let's Go, they, from my understanding, will display all your master tiles somewhere on your online profile. So it's like basically an achievement system within Pokemon too, like bragging rights galore. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely it's it's catering to a certain type of Pokemon fan. But you're you're right. I don't know if it's enough that's actually gonna convince them these fans to buy Go because they have to play or play Let's Go because they have to play through all of Let's Go just to get the opportunity to do this thing they might just want to do from the start. Yeah, yeah. It's However, kinda, it's kind of like Luigi's Mansion Second Mansion option. That's like a much harder difficulty. Right. Like I would, 
if that was available from the get-go, I would probably get the you mean the, for 3DS. The, the, yeah, the 3DS. Remake. But because it's not, like, it can't really be bothered right now. Right. No, that's fair. I, I mean, to uh, Game Freak's credit, they're also they don't know how they're going to implement it. They're just saying they're going to in some capacity. But they are going to let you transfer all your Let's Go Pokemon to next year's core RPG. So they are sort of priming the pump for the possibility of like, okay, if core fans do jump in, how do I keep them engaged? And basically, they've created their own mini Pokemon bank. Like, in the same way that you could transfer, you know, all your Game Boy Advance ones up into Ultra Sun and Moon. Now you're like, hey, if you have Pokemon in Go, you can put it in Let's Go. If you have it in Let's Go, you can put it in the core game. It's just kind of like a new a new daisy chain for a new structure of Pokemon. Yeah, exactly. You actually went out in the world and got them. Or got them in Let's Go. I wonder if all the IVs and EVs transfer correctly, though. So, That'd be interesting. Oh, you mean like from Let's Go to the core one? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 interesting because the, the systems are different. Yeah, they're different, but like there are still, quote-unquote, like perfect Pokemon. Oh, yeah, there are. And so, there's apps you can download to actually track that. Yeah, so I'm wondering if... um Or or I guess you could also read like the little descriptions that professors say. They just give ranges. No, no, I know. But no, if you have a perfect one, they have one. They have a saying for a perfect one. They mm-hmm. also have things for almost perfect and so mm-hmm. so. So, I mean, so you you know if you have a perfect one. They also like to really point out when your Pokemon's big, like large, like physically. Like, whoa, that's the biggest one I've ever seen. It's like, oh, okay. Doesn't really matter for um, anything. But that could actually be pretty good for the core game, something that I might actually use just because of breeding. Right. Like, you want to transfer good IVs, and if you're breeding parents that have perfect IVs, that makes it even better. So there's actually an angle I never thought about. Do you think a year from now... It's easier to breed. I mean, it's easier to just go out and catch one because it seems like people, once they're at a really high level, they can consistently find perfect Pokemon. Yeah, yeah. So that's actually faster than just breeding for a perfect Pokemon and then you're using the ones you catch to breed your other perfect Pokemon. Right. But but that opens up a new question of, so do you think that among Pokemon battlers like yourself, I guess that's what you could call you, right, a battler... Will there be a resurgence of those type of people playing Pokemon Go who maybe shunned it? Because, you know, the same people are like, let's go stupid. I don't like let's go. It's not my type of Pokemon game. Do you think if they did this with this transfer into core, into core Pokemon next year, are those people going to suddenly flip and be like, oh, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. This is the best way to catch blah, 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 is only, to just go out and get it. I mean, it. Only, if my, if only what I described is a thing. Yeah, trans- well, assuming, assuming, I don't know the, why they would. The transferring of, like, yeah, the IV. I don't the think they would. I mean, right now. So the weird thing is right I mean, now, if you Ditto, trade... How's availability? Um, so he was available like crazy when the Meltan event happened because they were all Dittos. That's how they did the Meltan reveal. Is they're like, oh, Ditto saw Meltan, didn't know what it was, but turned into it. So when you catch it, you just get Ditto. But normally the way you get Ditto is um, you catch super common Pokemon and just seemingly random, it'll be a Ditto. I mean, it's random for... It's the same for everyone. So if I see a Ditto, if we're walking and I'm like, this Pidgey's a Ditto... Or this Bidoof's a ditto, which I hope I never get a Bidoof that isn't truly a Bidoof. But this Bidoof's a ditto, then if you go to that Bidoof and catch him, he'll be a ditto for you too. Mm. Which is different from Shinies, which are per device. So if I'm like, oh, this Bidoof is neon pink, hot pink, your Bidoof, if you catch that same one, might not be. But dittos are at least consistent because they're a Pokemon. Not wait, just wait, wait. A... Bidoof shiny is golden. I know, I'm just giving an example. Actually, the Shinies in Pokemon Go, I feel like, I don't know if they're using the same palette. Some are, are, but some are some are like what I expect. But then, like shiny uh, Beldum was just like slightly different tinted, which I think he's a little more noticeable as shiny in the games, the real games. I might uh, be wrong. No, a lot of shinies in the real games are pretty stupid. Uh, in the so sense that like the same. like Gengar. Ah, uh, yeah. Actually, I do remember Gengar. Yeah. It wasn't until his Mega Evolution that you actually got a whoa. He's white now. Right, right. But the um, 
to to your point about the IVTVs, what I was gonna say before you asked about Ditto is um like, why so, do they even do that? Like Garchomp shiny is basically the same as normal Garchomp. It's dumb. Uh, it really I annoys agree. me. Like it really, really annoys me. I remember me. when they did shiny Chikoritas for Chikorita Day. I was like, wait, how much paler is it? Like, what should I be looking for? I mean, it's obvious once you see it. Or no, it was Eevee. Shiny Eevee is just like a slight... Shiny Eevee is just like normal Eevee who saw a ghost and is slightly startled. Like, it's like that slight yeah, and paleness. The, <laughs> when Eevee was Sprite, when Eevee was a Sprite, it almost looked like, almost like a black and white Eevee. Yeah. But, it looks but, less but now it's Eevee. like, yeah, like a paler brown. Yeah, exactly. But uh, the thing to your Eevee Eevee thing... I think it annoys um, me more when Smash Bros. doesn't put like Charizard or Lucario shiny colors in smash brothers when they have like eight colors oh them. yeah yeah and there's like, like here's why? random darker red or they'll put like a black charizard but don't put the wings red. Like, you already made that much effort like are you legally not allowed to put the red on there for some reason especially with this smash hopefully they address it but with this smash they have all sorts of crazy alternate costumes yeah i mean like literally you can turn mario into Ma- mario maker mario but you can't give charizard his wings i know you can give mario a hard hat but you can't give charizard his wings uh, yeah i'm gonna be really annoyed if their shiny versions aren't represented. Everybody's way. here except the correct shinies. I know, but uh, no. But to, now for the, I'm gonna get this sentence out. I swear for the fourth time, I'm attempting it. <laughs> the IVs you're tra- you're about to try to interrupt me, but you have water in your mouth. That's the trick. The IVs and EVs when you trade Pokemon in Pokemon Go actually change. So I don't know. To your point, uh... will it? They get better usually, not worse. I think they only get better. But I don't know what that... So if you're transferring perfect ones, in theory, they should just stay the same? In theory. And I don't know what that's going to mean for transferring from Let's Go to Core RPG. But the the ground... The, they're laying, they have laid the groundwork to manipulate IVs and EVs in transfers. The question is, how are they going to do it? What direction will they do it? And will it be something that breeders and battlers are going to be interested in? So we'll see. I mean, it all starts with Pokemon Let's Go. Um, I'm kind of curious. You know, the Meltan gimmick the master trainer thing that doesn't appeal to you but for people who do have the time to go through the main game and then do master trainer like will this at any capacity any level boost Pokemon Go sales we won't really know for at least like a month or so if not longer but in the meantime we do have some sales data from September courtesy of the uh, good old MPD group so they put out their US sales charts like I said for September and um, we're just going to slide right into adjacent sales corner here so I can tell you guys how it's a bit of a mixed month for Nintendo September was kind of weird um, first, it's worth knowing the industry itself is doing great. So the number one game on the overall top 10 was Spider-Man on PS4, which had the highest launch in terms of dollar sales for any PlayStation exclusive ever and was the seventh largest launch ever by any game on the PlayStation platform. Oh, Those stats are like, oh, that's cool. But here's the crazy one. In just its release month, Spider-Man on PS4 sold 37% more copies or, th- or made 37% more dollars, I should say, than every other Spider-Man game ever released combined lifetime revenue. Whoa. That's, keep in mind, Spider-Man 2 was a huge thing at the time it came out. Like, I was like, oh, this is what Spider-Man games should be. This game did, 37, did a third more than all the other Spider-Man smushed together into one big like number. And it still topped it. That, that's pretty crazy. And then it wasn't just Spider-Man that was um, that was breaking records. Number two on the chart was NBA 2K19, which had the single highest launch month in terms of sales of any sports game ever. Bigger than Madden. And apparently how they did that, which is actually kind of interesting, is when they were marketing NBA 2K19, which is available on Switch, so it's kind of relevant, um, they 
only really pushed the anniversary edition, which is the higher price model. They kind of, like, they sell a regular model, but they didn't really show the box art. They didn't really talk about its content. They were just like, this is the standard SKU. The anniversary edition is the game you're going to buy. And, of course, that one's higher priced, so then they made more money, and that's how they're probably able to beat Madden. But that's still another record. And then even Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which came in at number three, year-over-year gains compared to Origins last year. Number four was FIFA, highest sales of a FIFA game since 2016. It was a good month for the industry. Nintendo had one impressive feat as well. It wasn't a record-breaking feat or anything, but with just two days of sales in the tracking period. The tracking period is technically September, but it's like a quote-unquote September. It actually was five weeks and spilled into October. So Super Mario Party actually counted as a September release, even though it came out October 5th, and got two days of tracking. And in those two days, Super Mario Party was number nine on the overall top ten, which if you consider all the record-breaking sales I just talked about, and you take into consideration the fact that Nintendo doesn't provide digital sales data, so we're only talking about physical copies. And you take into consideration the fact that the eShop had a special Mario Party promotion going where you got double gold coins if you bought it digitally. If you factor all that in, the fact that Mario Party was number 9 after just two days is pretty impressive. They had so many things working against being able to achieve that goal, and it still did it. So good for mario party i'm sure it's gonna stay pretty high up on the chart next month but um it's the only game by nintendo in the top 10 uh mario Kart 8 deluxe dropped to number 14 mario odyssey was number 18 breath of the wild was number 19 they're all just you know hold, holding the line there um and on the one hand for me at least it wasn't surprising to see like most of those games drop down and only mario party really do well september was kind of a quiet month for nintendo really for starlink well that's not that didn't make it into the window that came out the next week so we'll get that next month I'm kind of curious how that does. I'm very curious how that does. I think the first thing they need to do is make sure they put the cartridges in the box. Did you hear about this? The starter kit of Starlink, if you bought it at Best Buy, the physical starter kit for Switch, a bunch of them were just not including the cartridge. The The game box was there, but when you open it, it was empty. So it was just random, right? I don't exactly know, and I don't know how many, but yeah, it just didn't come with a game. And it was enough of an issue that like Ubisoft and Best Buy had like put out a statement and be like, oh. "Yeah, we know, we're working on it." But yeah, I'm really curious to see how that does. In the UK, Starlink is uh, 82% of all Starlink sales are the Switch version. It's that Star Fox bump. Yeah, it, feels, yeah. it definitely feels like a Star Fox game. Yeah, I'm probably gonna get it at some point. I just haven't had a chance to get it because I, I do love me some Star Fox. But in terms of like September releases from Nintendo or relating to Nintendo, I mean Mario Party was technically October even though it's in the September chart. The only two first-party releases they were that they did put out were Xenoblade Chronicles 2, Torna, Tilda, the Golden co- uh, con- Country. I don't know why I didn't just do a dash. It had to be a Tilda, um, which, you know, I didn't really expect that to chart. And then Nintendo Labo Vehicle Kit, which I kind of thought would chart, but, but didn't. And here's the thing that's really odd. Not only did neither of them make the overall charts of the top 20 or anything, neither of those games, Xenoblade and Labo, are anywhere to be found on the Switch-only chart. Like, to give you some perspective of what that means, to not make the chart for Switch-only releases, like the top 10 of Switch tiles, they had to sell less, Labo and Xenoblade, in the in the month of September than a month-old port of a three-year-old Monster Hunter Generations game and a two-month-old port of a year-o- year-old Crash Bandicoot game. And Labo and Xenoblade, two first-party Nintendo releases, could not do that, which is weird. I mean, I I kind of I kind of get Xenoblade. 
So. You'll see. So. Yeah, exactly. Like the original Zero Blade Chronicles two actually sold better than Nintendo thought. They're um, and DLC is obviously going to be a fraction of that. But even if it's not yeah. treated as DLC, a lot. Of, I mean, well, it isn't. It isn't. That's what's that's I'm what's not, so no, weird. Yeah, about yeah, it. I mean, yeah, it is. But it's also big enough that they sell it by itself. Yeah, it's on box. It's yeah. They sold it as a standalone game. It says like a uh, more welcoming experience. But the problem is when you have your core game Chronicles two sell more than you expected. It sold over a million copies. It out. Uh, it's a, the director of the game went on record in an interview with US Gamer that in the West in particular exceeded Monolith's expectations so it's actually weirdly a similar comment that Koei Tecmo just made about Hyrule Warriors the other week um, the definitive edition on Switch in the West in, in uh, particular it actually outperformed their expectations but regardless the point is when you have a game that sells that much better and then you're trying to sell to RPG fans a standalone other game the majority of them probably own the first game and the majority probably just got the DLC because the DLC itself is apparently selling quite well. It's just this weird physical edition that is not. So that that makes sense. That makes sense that it didn't chart. Although I am kind of curious just how well it's selling. But the one that doesn't make sense to me fully is Labo, the vehicle kit. Like, that's just unfortunate. Because from everything I've seen and read, it looks to be the best implementation of the concept. I mean, not just with what you build, but how it integrates with the software, how media of an actual video game experience it is. It looks cool. And I'll admit, I am part of the problem. Like, I bought the variety kit in April. I enjoyed it. But I did not feel compelled to buy the newer vehicle kit. Like, I got my fill with just the variety kit. But I imagine that kids who are into it would be interested in furthering their Labo careers or whatever you call them. Labo artistry? Labo barista work like i don't know labo hobby i don't know what like the term is but whatever it is um you would think that those kids that are super into labo would be all about the vehicle kit so maybe it was just bad timing like maybe they just didn't release it at the right moment i mean something like labo feels very much like it would make a good gift but honestly how many parents are buying kids gifts during back to school like how how many many parents are buying kids gifts birthdays holidays you think so but no yeah, kids are deprived. 2018 is a year of kids just, with no gifts. Parents just give them an iPad and they're set for life. They're set until they're 18. And then they get their own iPad and they upgrade to a Pro. There you go. Yeah. yeah. iPad sales are actually down, so it's a bad, a bad example. But, iPhones? I don't yeah. know. Actually, no, it's a good example because iPad sales are down because all the kids already have theirs and they don't get Definitely. gifts. No one wants to replace them, yeah. I guess so. No, but the like, I do think the timing isn't exactly ideal to re- – like, I get why they released it for back to school because kids saw Labo over the summer. They want to get their own. But like how many parents, it's the first week of school, Labo just came out with the vehicle kit. And how many parents could be like, oh, yeah, um, you have a lot of homework, little Timmy, but I'm going to give you this huge piece of cardboard that takes eight to ten hours to fold and then comes with a whole video game. Also, there's like multiple sets of cardboard, so it's actually like 30 hours. But be sure to do your homework. I'm not going to distract you. I'm just going to put this next to you and hope you know not to use it. Like, that doesn't seem like the best timing to do it. So I suspect, honestly, that Nintendo tossed it out now onto the market in September just to kind of steer clear of the other releases, not clutter up things. Um, but I, I also kind of expect that Nintendo is shocked that the sales are this low now. And to be fair, they, like, didn't give it a big marketing push yet. Um, it only seems to be ramping up now. Uh, in the traditional marketing sense, they're featuring it pretty prominently in the Switch's big holiday commercial. And beyond just that, they're also now bringing Labo to schools in a partnership with a company called – or a nonprofit, I should say, called Institute of Play. The idea is that by having kids in second through fourth grade play with Labo and complete tasks that are assigned to them in small groups, sitting around you know, different ideas about design, technology, that sort of thing, um, 
They'll not only learn STEM principles through the labo. That seems perfect. But yeah, but they'll also get to improve things like communication and problem solving because they'll have to do it together and the teacher just kind of gives them ideas of what to do. And Nintendo's, so far they've got the program going in just one school in New York. They hope to reach 100 uh, over the course of the school year. And yeah, it, it's pretty cool. Like They provide all the hardware and kits. You don't have to buy anything if you're to school. Uh, them and uh, the nonprofit are teaming up to cover the bill. And they're also providing lessons plan lesson plans for teachers, but they're saying if you want to go off script, if you want to go rogue, you can do it. Reggie described it in an interview with The Verge as being a turn being as turnkey as possible, meaning you could just hit the ground running and you don't have to do any legwork. Or if you want, to, you know, go rogue, you, you can. That's fine. And um, on one level, this seems like a cool idea because it's nothing else. Getting the next generation interested in computers and all that good STEM stuff, that's important. That's good, right? And I mean, you worked at a computer lab, you you get it. Um, but doing it this way lets kids have more fun with it while also demonstrating to the parents that, hey, video games can have more than just entertainment value. Like, video games can be beneficial. Uh, plus, of course, it doubles as a free promotional tool for Labo. When? I mean, some, when? What? I just said when, when. when oh, yeah, when, when, yeah. Because some, like, some kids are going to love messing with Labo in school, and they're going to want it at home. And more broadly, just the media coverage of Labo being in school is going to get the name out there. Parents are going to hear about it from kids, and you know it's going to it'll spread. The word will spread. And to that point, you just look at something like Minecraft, right? I mean, did you know that Minecraft is actually still the world's most played video game? Just this month, over 90 million active users, which is actually quite significantly more than Fortnite's uh, 78 million that they reported in August. That's still like, a lot. I, it's it's definitely a lot, but 90 million—that's 12 million more. Man, that's how many players they lost is... to, to Fortnite. What? That's how many players Minecraft Sen- lost. I don't know if they lost it because Minecraft still has 90 million. No, that's what they used to have 160 million. Did they? No, this is a new record, the 90 million. Oh, it is. Wow. Yeah. I just assumed everyone was playing Minecraft before. And then and they, they just made about, up a number? <laughs> then they lost about like half of that. No, 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 no. The whole, point, the whole point I'm making is Minecraft is actually still the world's top game. You just don't hear about it much. Because it's not a game of service in the same way that Fortnite is. It doesn't constantly evolve. They're not rolling out in-game tournaments to Minecraft like they did Fortnite. They're not adding Halloween Fort Nightmares to Minecraft where they have zombies that Epic refuses to let you call zombies. They're called cube monsters. They do constantly monsters. update the game though. But, right, it but is not a lot the same quieter. way. And they don't have like the seasons. They just add, you know, they just do like patches, which is how normal well, software I mean, is. Sometimes bigger than that. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah I mean, they did the foundation update. That's true. Where they changed the whole look of the game. But I mean, it's not like... It's not like every three weeks they have some new in-game thing that they then take back away a couple weeks later to keep. No, I mean they don't take anything away. I mean yeah. like, like flying races weren't a thing before. Right. Um, battle modes weren't really a thing before, and that's like, that's true. Yeah. And that's like a whole thing. And now they're doing a whole spin-off dungeon crawler. Yeah. But um, but no, the reason I bring up Minecraft is because it still has all these people playing, even though no one really talks about it. And I'm not saying it's because of this, but it doesn't hurt. That Minecraft, much like Labo, has an education edition. It is used in schools. You are very familiar with this, just to set the scene here for people listening. You used to run it as part of your old job at, as a computer lab guy, right? Yeah. So, like, what is – so what – I guess the question what – because Labo, it sounds like it's basically they're going to be using the garage feature where you kind of do your own coding. But what what's Minecraft? How do they make that educational? Like how does because it's not quite the same as like you code your own thing. In a pretty awesome way, Jason. In a pretty please awesome elaborate way. and let and so, if you are sponsored by Microsoft, you you must disclose it at this time. <laughs> so I am actually getting paid by no one right now. Oh great! That means um, it's an honest, earnest opinion. Yeah, I I really like how they handled the educational edition, and 
I've worked with both versions because before Microsoft bought it, there was Minecraft ADU, mm-hmm. which is a version that I mainly used. And that version, essentially, it just had tools that went beyond what the kids were able to do. You could basically just create any world instantly and set parameters. And you could essentially create like tutorial worlds and... So was and, it more and, to like and, and objectives? Like there are items that only exist in the educational version that don't exist in regular Minecraft. Sure. Like for example, like there's like a notebook, so like kids can chart their progress. There's a camera that kids could plop down so they could take a picture of themselves next to their objectives. There are even programmable robots. Like there's literally like a robot that you can program using either Java or what they call the jigs the jigsaw system, which is pretty much just plopping down a bunch of jigsaw pieces like move left, twice, turn right move forward three times, turn left, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could get more complex than that. If you've ever used something called um, Hour of Code, that pretty much tells you everything. And I have not, so it tells me nothing. And that's pretty much... <laughs> it, it's a it's a website that's free uh-huh. that lets you... just teaches you code from the ground up. Oh, okay. And it's very user-friendly. If anything, it's mainly aimed at kids. So is that kids. is that kind of how Minecraft... They sort of teach like the logic of code, but through the game interface. Is that what you're sort of getting at? Yeah, it's yeah. really cool. There's um, especially in the newer version, Minecraft Educational Edition, which is the yeah, I guess the, the quote unquote official one, right? The, the yeah, Microsoft made. Yeah, we managed to get EDU right before they switched over, and as a result, because they're not going to update it anymore, we managed to get a perpetual free license. Nice. And the other one, you have to pay like your annually per mm-hmm. kid. Per kid, uh, of course. No, yeah. Microsoft's got to make that money. Props to Nintendo for doing the Labo thing for free. I mean, it's a much smaller scale project, but still. But in the new one, though, um, the coding is a lot more user-friendly, and you can literally like split your screen up, and you can have Minecraft running on one screen, and then you have the coding on the other. And you could pretty much teach the kids like different types of code. You could teach them how to do infinite loops, and they could essentially do the code on one half and then see it in real time on the other half. So you, they could put the code to make it rain chickens and then it'll rain chickens or they interesting could, or they could set the code to like automatically type something out in real time and they'll see it type out but more practical applications are with that robot like having it go through an obstacle course having it problem solve for you like usually the teacher there is like a teacher hub that lets the person or the teacher like control every aspect of the game or you in this case so i would set the parameters to not let the students build anything the only thing they can do is if they want to build something they'll have to use the robot so they're essentially forced to problem solve everything using programming oh interesting or you could set it yeah you you pretty much set like the rules of the world you could set it to not allow monsters you could set it to this which also makes it a nice um incentive system like if you want to give the kids like let's say 10 minutes of free time because they've done a good job throughout the week. Yeah. You could let them play Minecraft in creative mode. And if anyone is acting up, you could literally go hover over that kid's name on your end of the screen and freeze only their screen. Huh. Yeah. Or you could freeze everybody's screen and no one can move. And then they'll be like, well, what's going on? And when it's time to go, you can literally just boot them all out of the world and you won't have anyone that's still like refusing to exit out because you've booted them. Yeah. Because you, like you, you always get yeah. that kid. You say everyone exit out, and you're always going to have that kid that, oh, I have to finish that last level. It's like, nope, you don't have that option. Yeah. So, yeah, the teacher the teacher has full control of everything, like literally everything you can think of. Interesting. Because, yeah, it, it... they can make the teacher can make themselves invisible and move up their movement speed up by like 500%. That way they could pretty much travel anywhere super fast. Huh. They could also teleport themselves or anyone to any location anywhere. So, it, right. 
Yeah, so if a kid's I lost... I honestly didn't realize it was quite this elaborate. So if a kid is lost, you could just have them work back to their spot. Right, right. So, I, I had no idea it was this elaborate, because, like, I remember when EDU was first pitched. Oh, I see what you did there. Elaborate. Oh, Even though we're not talking yeah. about Well, I mean, we saw our bards in the broader yeah. context, but... Um, no, I didn't realize it was this sophisticated, trying to turn that into a labo pun. Because um, I remember when they first pitched EDU... Like Minecraft EU, it's like, hey, you can have them visit like monuments, but built in Minecraft, or like have them like go inside a nose. <laughs> but it sounds like they really expanded to be no, significantly yeah. and, more worthwhile. And, and those are actually really cool. Like I visited some of those worlds with the kids. They have yeah. a like a small section of Washington D.C. Pretty much just the big monuments. You could yeah. go inside the White House. You could literally go into every single room. There are like tab like little slabs right there that if you interact with, it gives you a lot of history for each room. Oh, cool! So it's like a, it's literally like going to a, a zoo or a museum. Like a, I think a, museum is probably the word you're looking for. Well, I mean, I know our government can be like a zoo. Am I right? <laughs> but uh, well, I mean, depending <laughs> but, on where you go. But like, I mean, there's another world that's like literally the inside of a cell, and you right. could see the different parts, like the, the nucleus, the endoplasmic reticulum, and all that stuff. Right, right, right. You know what's interesting about that? Oh, and you said cell. I thought jail cell, but you meant human, uh, like cell. Uh, what's interesting is Assassin's Creed actually has something like this. So you know how Origins was set in ancient Egypt? They had like a education mode where you could just explore ancient Egypt and teach you about the monuments and stuff like this is becoming more and more of a thing so it is cool to see Nintendo get in and I think I think what's nice about Minecraft specifically and Labo now as well is it's more you're actually like it's not just you're learning about a thing in a digital space you're actually learning cause and effect and code logic yeah which is cool um, I mean, I, I actually read a story I, mean, I think like just for the kids to be able to see in real time what's going on yeah the and to game. understand the yeah, and, the connection. and then the and and you also get to answer questions like, oh, so why do games crash? Like, why, like, why is it slowing down? Because I mean, you get to teach them like all the stuff about RAM, and it makes sense oh, in the context yeah. that yeah, like why don't games do this all the time? Right, like, right. Like, you get to understand why there are these rules, how things work, yeah, how it's made. Um, but yeah, I mean, the even, computers aren't as smart as they think they are. Right, like, they're brilliant, but they're stupid. At the yeah, same time. at the same time. Uh, but even like a uh, human resource machine, which is also about coding. I saw some, I remember it might've been Toronto, but some school, some teachers just like, yeah, I love the game. So I started te- using it to teach kids about code. Like, it's cool that games have become actual useful education tools. So I'm curious to see how Labo does. Uh, I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not saying like the existence of Minecraft education edition or the existence of Labo in this Institute of play partnership is going to suddenly boost sales. I don't even think that, but it is like a good PR move. And there's certainly going to be some interest there that wasn't previously there because people are being exposed to it in ways that maybe they never have heard of Nintendo Labo before. So, so we'll see. Um, you know, time will tell if it if it becomes anything. If nothing else, it's a noble thing to advance STEM causes and curriculum. So that's cool. Um, noble, noble. But 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 to be fair, like I'm talking about how Labo's like bombing right now and how Nintendo nothing in top ten. Like to be fair. Nintendo's not doing that bad to go back to chart permit. They they are still the top software publisher in the US in twenty eighteen in terms of sales. It's just that they could be doing so much more. And it just feels like this year in particular, and Labo's part of this, but it does seem like Nintendo's putting all their eggs in the holiday season basket. Like specifically just the holiday season. Because beyond, you know, a potential Labo bunt this holiday, pretty much all the Switch hardware sales they need need to happen this next quarter. Like they want to hit twenty million. And we don't have any official numbers about Switch's September hardware performance, but leaks pin it at being down compared to September of last year. So 
if you want to hit 20 million, you got you to gotta step it up. And it kind of explains the sheer number of bundles we're getting next month. I mean, actually, end of this week. We're going to have Smash, Pokemon, and Fortnite all on the same... Or, no, Pokemon's a week later. We're going to have Smash and Fortnite on the same day, Pokemon a week later. And now we just learned uh, that GameStop will have an exclusive Diablo 3 Switch bundle also on November 2nd. So what you get with that is if you plop down 360 bucks, you'll get a special dock and back design on your Switch. You know, the, the decal sticker thing again. Uh, you'll get a full download of Diablo 3 Eternal Collection, and you'll get an exclusive Switch soft case that kind of matches the design. So basically, you're paying for the hardware in the game with the cases of freebie. But, you know, so it's, it's whatever, but still, it's it's a nice piece of look of hard, it's a nice looking piece of hardware, I can talk, um, even if it is just a decal. And it does make sense on some level that Nintendo's releasing like a bajillion bundles, because NPD, according to them, 55% of all hardware sales take place in q4 aka the holidays it's just kind of unusual to see nintendo go yeah it does because you know people buying for the holidays because believe it or not contrary to your theory they do still buy gifts it's just it's just weird to me to see nintendo chase it this hard to the point that like gamestop i don't know did you see this gamestop's literally running a promotion to trade in your switch and receive 200 dollars to buy a switch that's an actual promotion you can go against GameStop's website and do. That's real. Someone actually does it. They're doing it because like they know people want the Switch, the Smash bundle, the Pokemon bundle, the um, Fort, maybe not the Fortnite bundle, but the Diablo well, bundle. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah, but it's just like you never, we've never had so many different options of bundles of unique so exclusive you sets for, at once. So it's a hundred bucks to get a new Switch. Yeah, hmm. and it gets and it lets Nintendo juke their uh, stats to hit that twenty million goal. What you think you're doing it for Smash? No. I saw that look on your face. No, I would never consider it, not even for a second. All right. Especially because I already have a Bowser cozy. Well, what I want oh, that's is... true. You do, a, you do have a nice Bowser thing on your dock. Yeah. Yeah. It also doubles as a cleaning cloth for the Switch every time I put it in. Oh, that's nice. The inside is a very soft felt. That's nice. I didn't know it did that. Yeah. Now you know. Now I know. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, so... Um, yeah, it. We'll, we'll see how the holidays go for Nintendo, but they got to hit a goal. They're going really hard to make it happen. But you know what? One other weird thing I noticed about the MPD chart, specifically the Switch-only chart, I don't expect you to know because I haven't told you, but there's no third... There's basically no third-party games on it. Like, at least not newly released multi-platform ones. I mean, games you would expect to do well on, uh, do well on Nintendo platform are on the chart. Mega Man 11 with only a couple days of sales, I think like four days, is number five on the Switch-only chart based on just those few days. Switch is actually the only platform that Mega Man 11 charted on whatsoever. And, you know, as I mentioned before, Monster Hunter and Crash, they're both towards the bottom of the list, but they're there. So those are your three third-party games. But Switch also saw some notable releases in September that aren't there. There's no NBA 2K19. There's no FIFA. There's no Dragon Ball Fighter Z. None of them are on the Switch chart. And while I'm fortunate, I, I kind of get it. Like last year, NBA 2K and FIFA both did quite well. Um, people wanted it for portability, I think. And, you know, the idea of playing NBA 2K on the go is cool. The idea of FIFA where you can just pop a controller over to a friend anywhere is pretty cool. So people are buying it for those reasons. But the problem is, at least in my opinion, um, from everything I've heard and seen of the games, the games weren't and still aren't on par with what you get if you have an Xbox or a PS4 version. And I don't just mean like in terms of modes. Like from what I've read, buying NBA 2K last year on Switch gave you a port with some odd technical flourishes, shall we say, uh, a requirement to download extra data, missing features, 
a whole bunch of microtransactions. Meanwhile, if you got FIFA last year, you got the full multiplayer experience, but you're missing the meat of the single player. It didn't have the full campaign. And both had fewer online players than you know PS4, Xbox counterparts did. So for straight-up multi-platform releases like that, it seems like folks maybe just don't feel the need to buy it on Switch because A, for a lot of people, the Switch is a secondary system. They can get the fuller experience elsewhere. And B, if they do decide to double dip on Switch or buy it on Switch, they're not necessarily getting the best experience. So maybe the reason these aren't doing well, even though last year they both did great, is the trade-off isn't worth it to most people, which, you know, it's it's something that people who are interested in these franchises, you know, they had to buy it once to know, okay, I'm not going to buy it again on Switch. So it's not like last year's FIFA or 2K was a fluke, but I think the lack of it on the chart this year is because people perhaps have shifted their buying priorities on Switch. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, so I'm I'm curious to see what 2K and EA do next. Like, are they gonna keep coming back? Because in Europe, I think FIFA is doing okay on Switch, but I don't know what NBA is doing. Or like, are we gonna have a situation like WWE where it came to Switch one time and it was one and done because the port was shoddy and people complained that they didn't sell well as a result? Like, it's kind of we're kind of at that crossroads. So it, we're we're almost back in the old situation, and it might be premature to say this, but it feels like we're back in the old situation where sports games don't sell on Nintendo. Even though for a minute there, they sold on Nintendo. And then Mario Tennis doing okay? Yeah, but that's, I mean, like, uh, simulator sports games. Yeah, the, the Nintendo sports games always do great. How's um, NBA Hoops Street? Uh, Playgrounds Slams? 2. Summer and, Slams? Uh, NBA Playgrounds. Shamalama and, and that's, uh, yep, that one. It's, I don't know how it's doing. It only came out a couple weeks ago. It's interesting, though, because they actually... So 2K has picked up distribution of it. It's still made by Saber Interactive, but 2K distributes it now. And as part of getting people to buy or want to get NBA Playgrounds 2, they delisted the original from the eShop. You cannot buy the original anymore. That seems it's weird. weird. It's because it's something to do with 2K taking over distribution. I mean, I don't see why people should get the first one at that point. But, but give them the option. People should be able yeah. to. I mean, what if that was like their year and like their player moved and it's not really accurate to what they want? Like This is like the year I care about. So yeah, like, what well, if they don't like LeBron on the Lakers? They want him still on in Cleveland, and they're like, what the hell? Wait, he's not on the Lakers? No, he is now, but a year ago he wasn't. He wasn't in the Lakers at some point? LeBron? He just joined the Lakers this year. He used to be Cleveland and Miami. What Come on, I don't know sports, and I know this. He just became a Laker. This is his first season as a Lakers. He's played a, col- a total of three or four games so far as a Laker. So he's never been a Laker before? Correct. He is Cleveland or Miami. You might be thinking of Kobe, who has always been a Laker. I'm still not even 100 sure who LeBron is. LeBron James. I know. The I feel name. if I say his full name, it somehow makes a difference. What's I'll show you name? LeBron James. Oh, that there was more to it. No, his first name is LeBron. His last name is James. Well, anyway, if you want LeBron on Cleveland's team on the Cavaliers, you um can't get that on the eShop anymore, which is weird. But yeah, I don't know how that one's doing. I imagine it's doing a little better because it fits the mo of like Switch, like arcadey multiplayer more, but. Nintendo doesn't release digital sales numbers, so we have, we have literally no idea. And that is part of the problem with uh, Dragon Ball Fighter Z. Is here's a game that I'm surprised didn't chart in a physical capacity, but to be fair, on the eShop it is selling at number thirty of thirty on the chart, so it's selling something to someone. But like, I don't know. I kind of thought Dragon Ball Fighter Z was destined to do so much better. Like, it's a fully featured port. Fine games are all the rage yeah, on Switch. It's not like Maybe people... the performance is just not that great. No, that's the thing. It's supposed to be good. 
from what I've read. And it's not like people don't trust Namco Bandai ports. I mean, Dark Souls Remastered is currently in the top five on the eShop, and there's a lot of good buzz about it, minus the audio compression issues I've heard about. So, like, what, what happened to Dragon Ball? Why is it not doing well? I mean, could it be suffering from the fact that the Switch has too many fighting games? Is that a thing? Is there saturation? I mean, like, what stopped... For example, you're a big fan of the genre, right? You like fighting games? Why didn't you buy it? Like, because I'm sure whatever mindset you have, a bunch of other people have, and that could possibly partially explain it. Um, I'm I'm indifferent to Dragon Ball Z. Okay, well, that's not the example I was looking for, but I didn't know what you were going to say, but I guess that works. Because, I mean, as good as that game is... If you don't care, you don't care. Yeah, if you don't care, you don't care. Like, I, I, I could swear... And, and I know Dragon Ball Z is a really good fighting game, and I know yeah. it harkens back more to Marvel vs. Capcom... It's the Marvel vs. Capcom game people wanted that Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite couldn't deliver. Did you hear that rumor to go rename Infinite to 4 as if it's a new game? Yeah. Just go release some DLC and... and people say. But if they do, that's just sad and desperate. Yes, it is. Um, But yeah, especially because it's also, um, for lack of a better term, an anime fighting game. Right. Like people, I, I feel like the, like the group is already small. For it to be like, you have to be a Dragon Ball fan. Although it did and sell well ha- over a million, I know, but still, it was a breakout hit for them. But I get what you mean. Yeah. Well, I mean, when it first came out, I mean, did it, did it sell a million on the Switch? I think this. No, 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 oh, no. That's, that's yeah. the point. It's not doing well. Well, on I mean, Switch. I mean, when it first came out, it was pretty much fighting against. There wasn't really much competition. Nothing. Yeah, and, uh, and, and and I think the fact that Infinite did so poorly, like as good as people say the fighting system is, the yeah. presentation was so disappointing, lackluster, and the roster was so disappointing. Yeah. That I'm pretty sure a lot of people probably just went to that game initially just because they were that like thirsty for. And now they're not because they have played it elsewhere. And now there's a plenty of other fighting games that are coming out now. So see, yeah, I think that that I think is maybe the real thing is. I mean, I'm oversaturation. not really interested in those other ones either. But I mean, I know they're really high profile. Like, I mean, Soul Calibur Six. Yeah, that just came out. It was a crazy character editor. Mm-hmm. Like that's making the rounds. And then Smash in a month. Yeah. But I think even just if you look on Switch, we have a lot. There's a lot of fighting games. There's Blade Stranger. I mean, we list them off like every three episodes. Blade Strangers, SNK Heroes, Smash Heroines. I mean, Smash. I'm sure, that other one hasn't even come out yet. That other yeah, the Virtual Fighter style one. Yeah. Yeah, like there's a lot. So I wonder. I'm sure everything you're saying is true. Like the anime, it makes it more niche. The fact that it's an anime fighter, it is a nine month old or twelve month old port. So it's like it's right in that sweet spot where I don't know if it's too recent to buy it twice, but or too old. You know what I mean? Like one of my close friends that's a huge Dragon Ball Z fan still doesn't have it, and yeah. I don't even think he plans on getting. it. And that's it. what's weird to me is like, well, how did that? Even happen? though he definitely wanted to at some point, I think he just doesn't care anymore. I also I wonder if part of it is like, but he's still getting the Dragon Ball shoes, so. I well, mean, yeah. everyone's getting the Dragon Ball. They're like four times the price of the game, but and you can't play them. And you also have to keep them clean. And you also have to wake up like at ungodly hours to go get them. Yep. Just to have a chance at getting them. Yep. But I mean, you know. Yeah, just that's how life is for. Sneaker if anything, those heads. people should have been the ones getting the game because they could play Dragon Ball Fighter Z in line while they're waiting and for yet their shoes to drop. Didn't, or maybe maybe they did. Maybe they're the few people who did. Because again, it is number three on the chart. But I I do wonder if. Dragon Ball may be the first of the real casualties of too many of the the too many game problem. Like this has been a looming threat for a while. We've talked about the fact that one day there's going to be too many games on Switch and some are going to suffer. And I bet you, if Namco Bandai released Dragon Ball like I, what six months earlier, maybe it probably would have done a lot better. Like some games, of course, are going to break through the the you know the crowd here. 
but more and more they won't and it's something we're starting to see with nindies too like yes there are still plenty of success stories i remember reading that dead cells sold like four times as many copies on switch as it did on ps4 and more recently i think uh wander wander song that's the name of the game the music singing game right wander song yeah wonder song. yeah that tripled its steam sales on switch so there's still stories of success on switch but the number of those success stories is not going up proportionally with the number of games being released. Like this week alone, the eShop got 43 games in one week. And there's probably some really cool ones in there. Like that Game Boy inspired Save Me, Mr. Taco. That looks cool. Um, Tomorrow Corp, they brought 7 billion humans over. Came out this week. But when you're competing with 41 other games in a single week, it's just that much harder for any to stand I didn't out. Even so notice, stuff like Dragon Ball or Nindies was I didn't even notice fall. Light Fingers came out a month ago. Yeah, and that was one that you really were interested yeah. in. So like it, now I'm just waiting because it's just not a good time right now to get a right, good game. Right, But yeah, so exactly, and there's too many others because – never mind life, but just even if you had the time, there's too many others. I mean I think the best example of we might be hitting the wall of too many games is uh, Morphe's Law. Do do you remember the hype around that game when it first was shown in Nintendo Showcase back in like August of 2017? I think hmm. it was like people were like, "Oh, this is a really cool idea." Third person multiplayer like shooter. The yeah, there's a mecha- the mechanic is growing and shrinking body parts based on where your bullets land, and then like Splatoon, it's all about collaboratively, like as a team, getting the most terrain in this case body mass, and then you win, and. At the time, people seemed really into it. But then it took the game another year to come out, and in that time, the, sh- the shooter genre got kind of crowded on Switch. We got Fortnite, we got Paladins, and it felt like the developers over at um, whatever the developer is, it felt like the pressure to release it before it became really too late really got to them. So they put out a game that, from what I've seen footage of and read about, has some pretty bad netcode. Like it, they they patched it more recently, or than in the process of patching it. But it went from like being this huge thing that's going to be this massive indie, potentially massive indie multiplayer success story on Switch, to being this thing that went pretty much nowhere. The buzz was gone. There are too many other games to play. It didn't help that the game had issues that hampered what little buzz was left. And obviously, you can't blame Morphe's Law underperforming on too many games alone if the gameplay itself wasn't up to par. But I bet you. If Switch had a more limited library and Morphe's Law came out in a more timely manner, we'd be be discussing a much different story about that game. We'd be talking about, like, oh, the hot multiplayer shooter on Switch. And as is, the developers are now working on a bunch of new free content to make the game more worthwhile for those who have bought in. It's such a shame. Yeah, and presumably, you know... um, if they do all this new content, they'll do that. They'll do that little trick where a big update generates fresh news and attention for a game. But it's this really cool idea that just it got you buried. You have one launch. You have one launch. They kind of botched it. I think they botched it because they realized the window was closing on the opportunity to get this thing out there when people care. They were already four months after Fortnite and Paladins, and that's probably why it came out in the condition it, in the state it did. But this is kind of you know the too many games problem. This was a very high profile. Uh, Nindy. It was one of the few Nindies that was not only in the Nindy showcase, but also in the Nintendo Direct. One of the few that like crossed over, and this is what happened. So you know, we'll see. We'll see if the new content update and the bat- patches and bug fixes help give it more attention. But I'm, I'm not holding my breath. This might be one of the first big. This and Dragon Ball might be some of the first big casualties of too many games on Switch. I mean, Nintendo's literally running commercials 
where it ends the holiday commercial. It ends with with a, over a thousand games to play, or with, yeah, with over a thousand titles. There's game for what every is gathering, the app store? or something like that. Yeah, but it's just like I don't know if a thousand games is a bragging point. Like I understand it is a bragging point. It's like look at all the selection. But it's like cool. Like two thirds of those games are never gonna be seen by anyone, which is unfortunate. So we'll see. I mean, it, the the idea of like bumping a game. Literally like doing a post bump a game by adding new content. That's something more and more are doing. I mean, ukulele is doing it in a kind of interesting way. There, it's weird, but it's, it's clever. But I don't know if I like the execution. Basically, you can t- get an item in the game with a free DLC update coming down the pipe, where the game will scale back. It'll derez. It'll be actual N sixty four quality. They claim, and it's it will not. run out of locked thirty frames per second. But it still looks smoother than N sixty four. And the polygons still look better than N sixty four. So when the game first came out. Like, that tonic was there. You just couldn't select it. So we've known since... It was a stretch goal for the Kickstarter. When did when did the game come out? Like, two or three years ago. But to, I think 2014, December wow. 2014. But then it took forever because it was going to come to Wii U. But then they moved it to Switch. Well, in 2014, whenever... Wow. Or 15. It might have been... Wait, it might have launched in 14. The, the, I might have... Well, whenever it first came out on PS4, I remember, like, people... Like, that tonic was there. You just yeah. couldn't select it. So we were already... We pretty much had three years to visualize in our head what the... 64 tonic would do and still disappointed and three years is a long time a lot of games are made in that time and instead of like you know like just replacing the models with 64 style models just like limit themselves to what an 64 could do or a yeah. playstation yeah all they did was premium just put like a snapchat filter that just makes everything look they threw one of mario and block you they threw one mario odyssey's filters on it basically and here's the thing, like, the like Mar- it looks worse in an N64 game while still looking better, better than an N64 geometry game. Geometry is better, visuals are worse. Yeah. Like, it's fuzzier, but the geometry is too good. I, I, I was... I was surprised. I was disappointed. I, I uh, to because... their credit, it's not like they worked on it for three years. It was a stretch goal that they were going to get to and everything else was done. But, yeah, I agree. And it, it's funny because, like, I was starting to say about Mario Odyssey. So, Mario Odyssey, for those who don't know, they keep coming out with new filters. They have, like, a, a manga one and... I forgot the second one, but they just came out with two kaleidoscope. Yeah, and like the manga one, like outdoes this N sixty four tonic thing. Like I know it's totally different art style, but the could... amount of like change that occurs and how good it looks is like night and day. Yeah, but they also have like a Game Boy filter, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah, they have a lot of. Good... I wish you could play the game with some of those filters on. That'd be great, but no. Well, I think because they they're probably doing some processing power to make things work right. Yeah, but they also have to get rid of some to get rid of the color i would imagine i don't know i don't know how it works i don't know process he's just like well there's no uh there's no hex code uh d5 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 so i get i guess we save some juice like i don't know if it works like that well no i'm saying like you're not i mean whatever it's already rendering it as it's obviously a a filter and itself. i mean you could call it a filter you call the filter zero yeah you're just like slumping them out, I would imagine. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So it's not, I mean, it's, I mean, it's not like they're just getting rid of the color. It's not that simple. Obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's not that. Yeah. I mean, it literally comes down to like them just like toggling with the camera. Like, let's change mm-hmm. the the near clip range from point zero zero nine to point zero zero eight. Oh, now you have super crazy death mode. Right. Right. But so, yeah, I guess but it, they really didn't have to do anything. Like, it, I don't think it costs any more processing power. Than no, that. it probably does. That's kind of what my point was: is it doesn't change it one way or another. Another yeah. thing, so that you should be able to just play. Right. It. Yeah, I guess so. But they don't for some reason. Uh, they'll save it for the second anniversary. By the way, happy anniversary to Mario Odyssey! I believe it, this weekend marks its uh, one year. There's a there's an animation they put on the Japanese Mario Odyssey tour of all the characters doing the little Mario shuffle dance thing, like you know the little feet thing he does, including Bowser. Oh. Yeah. So 
go check that out, internet. But yeah, that um, decent game. I really like it. I know we've had this debate. Yeah, you don't like the end game, but I, I really, I, I, I think I'm biased because it's not the a debate. I'm not the trying new, to convince anyone. Nah, I know. I think the New Donk City celebration when you beat New Donk City is one of my all time favorite gaming moments. It's just so perfect on so many levels. It's so joyful and happy in these trying times. But anyway, it's a more, distraction. It's a good distraction. Yeah. But uh, more broadly speaking, just to put a pin on the two main games discussion. With you know, um, Morphe and all the third party stuff like Dragon Ball, I think this holiday season it is is in many ways going to be the big test. Nintendo's own games are perhaps bigger than ever. Pokemon and Smash are a killer combo, even if it is Let's Go. And whether intentional or not, um, some third parties are actually steering clear of it or trying to adapt to it specifically to overcome this potential hurdle. I mean, Team Sonic Racing, for example. That just got delayed till May for quality improvements, but it's also one of those things where you know it's now six months after Smash Bros. and it won't. As a result, it won't get swallowed that was alive. A really smart move. It was, yeah. It, I mean, I don't think they did it because of that, but to have it go. No, from, they did. Do you think so? Yeah. Games are afraid of other games. No, that's true. It's the same with movies. It's like when Wonder Woman moved its release, and then suddenly all these other movies flooded into that weekend. It's like, oh sweet, we can. We don't have to worry about Gal Gadot. But um. Yeah, like so now Mar or they like never released this game around Call of Duty season. Basically, and Call of Duty season was early this year. Actually, Call of Duty and Red Dead were two weeks apart. That's pretty bold. But um for Yeah, who? so <laughs> what? For who? For Activision and for Activision. No, I mean like who were they more bold for? Oh, um anyone going up against Rockstar is making a bold choice. Activision probably tried to get in front of it on purpose. Like if they did it after Red Dead, yeah. I meant that they were both like huge games that oh yeah I know, I know. Up, no, but I'm saying Red Dead's the bigger of the two yeah yeah definitely right now at least oh Call totally. of Duty's Call of Duty well Call of Duty's getting a lot of yeah, traction it, it kind of apparently feels, Blackout's it, really cool yeah it feels like it's um I don't know getting its momentum again that I'm, once lost a long time ago it sales wise it is it's uh, sales are up it made ha- it made five hundred million in a weekend half a billion in one in its launch weekend which is on par with some of its barriers uh I will say. I really did believe that Blackout was coming to Switch. I thought the Blackout mode was going to be on Switch, and then the rest of the game would be on other consoles. I don't know if you remember us talking about that in like March or February. Yeah. but um, And there were rumors that pointed to that, but then it turned out that Blackout was Call of Duty. There is no single player. There is only normal multiplayer in Blackout. So I guess I see why it's not on Switch. They can't really be like, we'll do the full experience on the next gens, and Switch will get one mode when one mode is like 50% of the experience. Yeah. yeah, I still would love to see it on Switch. Like, it seems like I think I think I would enjoy that more than like Fortnite. Like Fortnite's fun, but I'm really bad at it. But I know how to play a first-person shooter at least somewhat decently. So, oh well, maybe one day. But um, yeah, what I was saying about third parties is you know Team Sonic Racing is I'm staying clear of it. Sure, you could change your perspective in Fortnite to be first-person. You cannot, as far as I'm aware. Hmm. I could be wrong. I want to check. I mean, I'm not 100 percent sure, but you know, actually, while we're talking about Smash. Real or fake? Are you team real or team fake? Um, fake, I guess. Because I refuse to acknowledge rumors. So, just for people who don't know what we're talking about. If you don't know what we're talking about, I don't know what you're doing listening to an Nintendo podcast. I'm not going to spoil it. I understand people like the reveals to be a surprise. But a list of potentially final fighters for Smash Bros. was released by way of a leaked image of what's supposedly the final banner of all the characters. And it's pretty much a who's who of everyone's guesses for the past two years. And, yeah, it... I don't like it. It really matches all wish lists out there, but and rumors. But I, I don't know. Like the banner, 
that got leaked has randomly the Grinch in the background on a different piece of paper. Like it's at like a shop, like a sign shop. So people are like, oh, well, that's legit because why would the Grinch be there? Well, and then also the employee who leaked it has been – some Nintendo site in Australia confirmed he is actually an employee of this company that does promotional work with Namco Bandai. Here's my two qualms. One, why is Namco Bandai the one making the signs? Namco Bandai is strictly the developer. They have nothing to do with marketing, nothing to do with publishing, nothing to do with distribution. What? Why? Unless Nintendo is like, we don't like our sign guys anymore. We're going to use our developer's sign guy, which doesn't make sense. But ignoring that, the banner itself, one of the characters overlays on where the Mii Fighter should be, and there is no new spot for the Mii Fighter. Whenever they do these banners, they scoot the characters around so everyone fits in. In fact, every other character on the banner has been scooted to make room for these rumored ones. Where's the Mii Fighter? That's all I'm saying. Where's the Mii Fighter? And the Mii Gunner. What was that? And Gunner. the Mii Gunner. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because there are two. Right. And the Mii Swordsman. Well, they only used to have... Did they have all three on all the banners? Oh, okay. Well, where are the Mii Fighters? Like, this sounds like a conspiracy theory. Like, where are the Mii Fighters going? Where where did the government take them? But no, where are the Mii Fighters? Yeah. I mean, I, I miss... I don't know. I... I am ice and fake. But yeah, I, I, I assume... The list could be true, but ice and fake. There's some impressive stuff. Like, if it's true, even though it's all rumored, that is an impressive list. The mix of third party and first party. The fact that they get who they get. I'm trying I mean, to keep it vague. I mean, half of them feel to me like... like, like they're like oh, Some of them feel like givens. Like, like, yeah. It almost feels like inevitable. The other ones feel like... Oh, I mean, they're... I mean, that's just it. It's just the most popular pick. So, right. at this point, like, I think like what Sakurai is doing, so... It's possible. But... I mean, but if it ends up being, like, the actual leak and it's like, oh, I guess we did actually get the roster spells for us, I'm happy it was this way and not how it was for Smash 4. because that was, was all the, the footage of all the yeah, characters? Yeah, because that was all footage. Freaking ESRB spoiling things left and right. So, at least this still leaves, like, a lot to my imagination. I still yeah. don't know how they look in-game or even in render at all because it was so blurry. Yeah. But, yeah. There is a theory flowing around, which I find kind of amusing, is because they know that's a legit employee from this company. Some people are like, well, maybe he doctored his own banner which is why some of the character art looks like the exact poses of old character art. But, like, he's using real information. So that's another theory flowing out there. I don't – yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm gonna, This is why I tweeted and I'm sticking to this. Regardless of what the outcome of this thing is, it's impressive. Either it's an impressive roster because they got all those deals with other companies. I'll leave it at that. Or it's an impressive fake because who puts the Grinch in a fake? Like, who goes that extra mile? Or it's just – impressive Grinch viral marketing and it's actually Universal and Illumination who are working with Nintendo anyway so like haha win win for everyone we're just gonna leak this fake thing whatever it is someone hit a nail on a head I just don't know which nail was hit or why but something was successful in this take your pick as to what but anyway we digress the point is a lot of third parties are trying to avoid the um, two may game situation others like we talked about with Starlink are basically leaning in on it by just having Nintendo put their characters in their game and the test is now going to be everything else like with third party games that don't offer extra exclusive stuff or don't wait six months till the big guns are done you know with like indies that maybe have seen success up on uh up to this point on switch but will that continue like one example that immediately popped into my mind when putting this together was two tribes they just announced this previously unreleased game of theirs from like 2011 called uh swap this it's coming to switch it is a puzzle game, just a color matching puzzle game. It's fish themed. It's about freeing fish from ice cubes. Whatever. It comes with four modes. Wait, has touchscreen support. For a second, I'm like, wait, they? I thought they already disbanded, but this is a. They did. This is an old game. Project. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're yeah, only so... a publisher now. But yeah, so they, you know, they have all this 
touchscreen support for four modes, local multiplayer, solid little puzzle game it looks like, and it's only gonna cost a buck nineteen for the whole game. Probably like the cheapest game on the eShop. And, you know, given two tribes two tri yeah, two tribes pedigree, Rive, Tokitori, like this should do well, right? Like it's really cheap. It's from a developer that's well respected within the Nintendo world. And now the test will be, will it actually do well? Like this is the type of game that on the Wii U, guaranteed to do pretty decent. On Switch, is it going to fall into being a Too Many Games victim? So we'll see. We'll see. But that that's the type of thing that I think this holiday... Because we know Nintendo's games going to do great, but how's everyone else going to do is the real question I have. So we'll see how it all plays out. We'll get first taste very soon. Uh, next episode, we'll have Nintendo's Q2 financial report information that covers July through September. In the meantime, though, we've been playing games, of course, um, and... You already talked about you, what you've been playing and doing. I mean, we covered Minecraft, Minecraft, Pokemon Go. But one game we didn't cover is what I've been playing, which There's is something I want to add at the end, though. Just about okay, sure. So I'll, I'll do. Get, the, I'll, get, you can the, just do it now. Yeah, it's not well, gonna be as long. Um, go for it. So going back to this trend of like playing things after a long hiatus, um, I revisited my 3ds very randomly, and on the way to a Conan taping. Yeah, and I gotta say, it's been so long. Definitely since before the Switch came out. And I almost completely forgot what a 3DS even felt like or even looked like in, like, right in my face. Oh, right, because right you, you, as soon as you got your Switch, just forever yeah, put your like, 3DS I away. Because I still play mine from time to time. Yeah, like I hadn't Warrior touched War. it, hadn't looked at it, and, man, it's it's actually still really cool. I actually still really like this thing, and I actually kind of missed it. I played, the size is perfect. I played some science... I played a small amount of Ace Attorney versus Professor Layton, played some Donkey Kong Country 2, some WarioWare, some Rhythm Heaven, and since they're all downloaded, I forgot like how relatively fast it is. Not as fast yeah. as the Switch to switch between games, right, right. but like I love the I miss the customization of it. I love that I have the four Oricorio Pokemon. They're like the little um golden sun, sun and moon birds from Pokemon and the little chat top pin. Oh right, because they had the whole badge center, and, and then that. I had some folders like that or were badge that were labeled, and then I had like some folders with badges on them, badges everywhere, and then I and every time I closed the system, it would rotate between a different background. I had some Ace Attorney backgrounds, Monster Hunter, Rhythm Heaven. It's, it's you know what? I, I love how personal it feels, and even like the smaller screen size because I downgraded from well, it's, I side graded from a regular 3ds XL, the Smash Brothers one, to this one. Which, Which is, is a smaller new 3DS, but it's yeah. the one with the customizable Bowser Mario plates. That, I think the faceplate, yeah. Faceplate. It was exclusive to just that um, Black Friday season a few years ago. Right, yeah, it's the black-on-black faceplates. It yeah. looks slick. Like, yeah, it looks really I nice. I forgot how nice it looked. And I think I'm probably going to be playing my 3DS a lot more. And I just like, I really loved how small it was and how I could just put it in my backpack and not even really worry about how bulky it is it was just really yeah. nice it, it's funny because everything about it was so nice everything you're describing right now like oh if, if, like you ba- basically going from i'm gushing 3- about it like i just bought it seriously please. but going from 3ds to switch is like going from android to iphone you go from a totally personalized experience where you can do whatever you want it comes in weird shapes and sizes to going to a very standardized experience where you get a very standard menu and you just have to live with it and like i love iphone more than android but like i kind of get what you're saying like the personalization appeals really nice and much like with the Android iPhone analogy, Android phones come in all shapes and sizes. iPhones are pretty much the size that Apple determines. So like with Switch, it's like, oh yeah, if I want to play Switch, I need this bulky thing because that's what the Switch is. That's what I've been told it is. But with the 3DS, they literally 
whatever is convenient. And the clamshells yeah, are very nice. You have a new 3DS XL. You have a yeah. small one. You can change the color. You can change you the have a 2DS plate. and hold your door open with it. Yeah, it's yeah, it's amazing. So I, w- I wonder if that switch revision we talked about last episode will kind of factor into maybe it's going to be something a little more portable in some capacity. Like not just I mean it has to be a slate, but maybe there's. You know, it goes back to my idea of, like, maybe it's more kid-friendly. Like, maybe it's more yeah, pocketable in a weird way. Maybe more clueless on what it could be. Yeah, now, yeah, I don't know. But if you haven't um, paid attention to your 3DS in a long time, like, well over a year, like I did, go go show them some love. They and if you need it. games to play, new games on the show, we've talked about WarioWare Gold being a good choice, Fire Emblem uh, Echoes being a good choice. Like, there are games that if you put it away when you got your Switch are a great opportunity to yeah, and, revisit. And I'm definitely getting Luigi's Mansion. It's just a matter of when. when? Yeah, not so much. Yeah. Are you good? By the way, you know uh, Green Luigi has a name now. Gooigi. He is a goo-based Luigi that EGAD sent from the future for modern-day EGAD and Luigi to test because apparently you can't test things in the future. You can only send them back Luigi's in time dead, guess, to... Or... Yeah, or maybe they or just something. got rid of the ghost problem. Oh, wait, he is dead because of Smash Brothers. So oh, yeah. Wow, everything's canon. Look at that. It all comes together. Or they really just solved all the ghost problems and he needs to test it against ghosts for some reason. But then why would he need to test it against ghosts? Yeah. If why, what what good is Gooigi against ghosts if there's no it ghost to be make... good against? Yeah, I can only imagine. There's still a ghost problem, but currently Luigi's dead, so they need to test it with old Luigi. Maybe he could save right. his life or something. Maybe, maybe. I'm, I'm gonna or maybe say, he just replaced Luigi. I'm going to say is Gooigi's a pretty solid pun of a name, and I'm a little disappointed that the internet didn't latch on to Gooigi the same Gooigi the same way they latched on to Bowsette. It's not on the same that. scale. No, it's, I mean, I know it's not like hypersexualized, but it could be. It could be. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, side note because of Gooigi, it does bother me slightly that I mean, I get why Ditto because we're talking about goo. Yep, um, just different color of goo. But... When Ditto turns into another character in Smash Brothers Ultimate, um, there's still that pink. Thing, pink. It's, like, it's like Ditto never turned into a pink version, yeah. Them. And if they aren't gonna and if they want to do it to make it more distinct, yeah, I get it, it's less That's confusing. Why. Then I don't know, give them like a small little like outline, but or just give them like the goofy ditto face. Like make the normal character but with the goofy ditto face. <laughs> Could you imagine all the merch like they can make perfect. off that? Like that'd be amazing. Like have like a Donkey Kong with the ditto face. Oh, that'd be or great. an inkling with or a Mario. But the with... problem is if you're playing zoomed out like four player, eight player smash, you won't really be able to see the face that Well, it's a ditto, that's the point. I know, I know. I, I would love if they did a whole merch line of ditto face. And whenever you characters. have like a Pokemon assistant or whatever, they always have like the little number thing on top of them that's like oh this is player one's oh yeah they could have done that yeah fy everybody this is player one hey guys guys this is player one's yeah they could have done that yeah so you should write sternly worded tweets so this feels like Sakurai. a missed opportunity but i mean it's yeah. cool that it's there but it feels like the way is they it like the shinies it feels like the way they would have implemented ditto in melee if they had gone through with it in melee time right right and it would eventually evolve to this but because of the first implementation so does this bother you as much as shiny uh, pokemon's alt colors not being their shiny color? oh heck no Okay, nice censoring there of yourself. Um, you're gonna say hell, weren't you? No. Oh well, now I'm just making it really weird. Uh, what was I gonna say though? Think oh yeah, the, the last syllable. But the I wonder. Syllable. I wonder if goo goo. Oh, you're gonna say a different word. I wonder if goo. <laughs> I wonder if Gooigi, um is gonna be an alt for Luigi. I hope he is. I hope so too. I hope they do something more creative than just the random. Co- I mean, every costume should be something. There are enough yeah. references. Nintendo is a hundred twenty some odd year, one hundred twenty nine year old. Nintendo is one hundred twenty nine years old 
they can leverage that. Make him look like freaking Hafunda cards. I don't care. Like, no. literally just have him be on a card. Turn Rob's head into a virtual boy. Come Turn on. Rob's arms into the grabber toy from the 60s. Turn one of the characters just into a love hotel. It's fine. Just, like, go all in on the history. Come on. But anyway, um, I guess we should get to what I was playing. Because you were playing a 3DS. I was playing um, Pizza Titan Ultra. Which I like to think of as kind of like Mad Libs, the video game. Not as in it's a video game version of Mad Libs, but as in it's a game that almost feels like it came out of someone's Mad Libs. Like it's, it's, and then somehow it kind of worked as like a fully fledged video game. Because first there's just the premise. So the idea is you're playing as a robot that is not just a normal robot. No, no, no. That would be boring. This robot is 10 stories tall and has a full service pizza restaurant inside him. His stomach is literally the pizza shop. And it's up to you under any circumstance, hell or high water, buildings in your path, other robots shooting at you, doesn't matter. It's your job to deliver the pizzas where they need to go. Which brings us to Mad Lib number two of this game, which is the gameplay, which is a mix of games you probably never expect to hear in one sentence. Crazy Taxi, Blast Corpse, Custom Robo. Those three games combined, Pizza Titan Ultra is what came out. So Crazy Taxi is definitely like the main inspiration, I think. Um... The bulk of Pizza Titan Ultra does follow kind of the crazy taxi path of you're running from pizza drop-off point to pizza drop-off point. And also like in Crazy Taxi, there's always an on-screen indicator pointing you in the direction you need to go and giving you some sort of distance measurement. You just don't know exactly where you're going. It's just kind of guiding you. I don't think this concept hasn't been done before. Right? Like it's kind of – you mean that specifically the pizza robot or just Crazy Taxi but for other activities? It's such a good creative concept that – it's just one of those like, why hasn't this been done before? Because it's so awesome. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I'll be honest. The concept of the game, like a lot of times, it's like gameplay is the hook for something. But I was just sold on like giant pizza robot. Kind of like it follows. I thought I was sold on the concept, but the execution wasn't. Well, see, I'm not. As, I'm not as down on this as no, you no, were yeah, on, yeah. on it follows. But 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 what's interesting about um, this game is you know I keep saying it's like Crazy Taxi, but the difference is that unlike Crazy Taxi, Pizza Titan Ultra. It, first of all, it's presented more of like an isometric view of the whole city. The camera zoomed out. It's kind of like a fixed angle camera. You're not – this is actually where the Blast Corpse vibe comes in because as you play, it feels a lot like when you controlled that humanoid orange robot guy in uh, Blast Corpse back on N64. I want to say his name is like J-Bomb, but that sounds too much like J-Wow from Jersey Shore, so I don't know if that's his name, but I'm going to assume that's the robot's name. But anyway, when you controlled that guy in Blast Corpse and you, you know the emphasis was on destroying everything around you, this kind of has that feel even though you're still doing like pizza deliveries it kind of mirrors that but for a game where you control a 10 story tall robot it makes sense that they have to go this sort of presentation around how it be isometric and how it be a fixed zoomed out camera because you can't really be like behind the robot you know like if you think about crazy taxi as a standalone thing it's pretty bare bones like you have maybe a mini game or two but the main game is you're driving through all these tight corridors and dynamic streets where things are happening all the time and the elements of chance and randomness in that scenario and all the like last second reactions are what make crazy taxi so good but when you're a 10 story tall robot you can't easily do a behind the back camera angle where you can capture that same like dynamicness diamondism is that a word so instead they kind of do the more zoomed out view which makes more sense but then um the problem is when you're zoomed out that much it shows you a good chunk of the level at any one time it's kind of like a top-down camera really so that immediately removes some of the like frenzied feel that you would have from a crazy taxi 
and they're able to recreate that in some ways. They introduce different enemy robots that try to block and shoot you. So you can destroy them with different moves. Some require jumping in the air and punching. Some require kicking or slide kicking. And it is a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. It's just not... It doesn't have the the automatic, deeper hook in its core gameplay that Crazy Taxi did. Even though I keep comparing it to Crazy Taxi. And I suspect the developers understood that because they baked in a number of different gameplay variations and features beyond just the idea of a bunch of maps in order to keep things fresh and interesting and keep you engaged. Um, so free delivery run is the main mode in the game. It's basically crazy taxi. You deliver as many as you can of pizzas within a set amount of time. And there will also be pizzas uh, assigned. Like, so basically, you know, you drop off the pizza, you get assigned the next delivery, and you go. But then in the process, you also can encounter walking customers who, if you walk over them with the robot, it, one third of the screen cuts to a mini game. You sort of freeze the other two. And all you do is rapidly hit A in different patterns or like different rhythms to basically put the toppings on the pizza, bake the pizza, deliver the pizza. That to me, what would be cool for that, I feel like, is if they used the touch screen or Joy-Con motion controls to kind of cooking mama it up. Because literally you just hit A a bunch of times. And it is in different rhythms, but it's still just hitting A a bunch of times. And like similarly, mm. if we're talking about special Switch you features. You don't want something to become robotic for like a better term. You want what? You don't want like a gameplay mechanic right, to become right, robotic. Right. Ah, I see what you're doing there. And yeah, that's kind of fear with this walk-in customer mechanic. And only the walk-in customer mechanic is that it is just you're hitting A. And like so, motion control or touch ribbon cool. I also think we're talking about features that aren't there. Missed opportunity with HD Rumble because um, the, you only have one Rumble. The HD Rumble can do a whole range, but in this game, no matter what building you smash, no matter what you're doing, no matter what enemy you kick or punch, it's one Rumble. I feel like they could have definitely done different Rumbles for different building heights or something. Like there's a chance there, and they didn't take it. I mean, I get why neither of these features are there. It is a port. It was released to many systems very quickly. Uh, so they probably want to keep costs down. They're small developers, so like it, it's like it's not bad that it's missing. It just would be cool enhancements as DLC in the future. Well, I guess you can only hope though that it could get the attention it needs, like other games that have a hard enough time. I don't know, getting the initial attention, like, like, the one, like yeah, like, like yeah, yeah, like what Morphe's is hopefully gonna do or Ukulele mm. or whatever. Yeah, I mean or we'll any see. Of the but... Jewel of the Watson games. Yeah, literally the and, entire lineup of his on Switch. And he doesn't necessarily do DLC because he just released the game again and yeah he just re-releases again. the games over and over <laughs> i mean yeah. like like uh the chicken one i'm blanking out chicken wiggle workshop like he basically took the 3ds game that bond is like well if i add a level editor it's not gonna re-release as a whole new thing eventually <laughs> eventually in like the year 2020 he's not the fastest but he's a small team i get yeah but anyway um so separate so that's just uh the main mode free delivery run is what they call it but separate from that are also vip runs in uh pizza titan ultra and these are more story driven they have very important pizza don't tell me that's what it's called uh, no it's for very important people oh. they're story driven and what happens is specific people um you have to deliver pizzas to and there's like these cutscenes that play out and then when you deliver them it's not just like you're delivering the pizza you actually have to complete special goals while juggling deliveries so there are things like finding a bare number of ingredients hidden around the level. There's up to five hidden in any level at any time. Or, like, uh, destroying all the city or a certain percentage of buildings or hitting, killing a certain number of enemies. And there's always gauges that track it. And often, as you go through the game, you discover they start combining these goals. So you have to do, like, two or three things in one run. And then on top of that, later in the game, there's also, like, boss battle-feeling things that can introduce. Like, you're finding bigger robots, so that's kind of a nice layer to it, too. It all adds a nice amount of gameplay variety, is basically what I'm saying. Uh, but I think I think even then I would have liked to have one or two more than they do. It starts even by like the second or third map, you start doing the same goals at least for a while, and that gets a little repetitive. But but the glue of the VIP run, and what's actually cool about it, and why it's very important people and not pizza, 
is the wacky story about like the employees of the pizza shop their battle with these enemy cheese bots who are like trying to destroy their pizza shop and um that stop them from delivering pizzas because they want to deliver pizzas um it's actually like the whole thing's pretty well written it's funny it's surprisingly clever and there's a ton of pop culture references um the vips are all riffs on like famous people or characters you have like a bob ross knockoff a parappa the rapper uh rapper knockoff they almost you have a captain planet the they're a little too on the nose but then there is a great one that's all the x-men combined and he's actually pretty funny um he also doesn't like pineapple pizza which is a strike against him but whatever um but yeah and the, and the dialogue for these cutscenes, like the setup for each vip run it can be a bit long-winded but it's it's totally optional it's usually pretty entertaining i've yet to find myself skipping it um and like it kind of gives these pizza runs almost like an elite beat agents vibe where it's like these ridiculous problems people are somehow having solved by a robot delivering them pizza so it's kind of like the same idea of elite beat agents like oh yeah if you just dance away the problems you just pizza it away so there's kind of that vibe to it um and it really it's the story that kept me going through like all the chapters because like i said well, you beat it no, I'm not done yet, but it's, it's oh. keeping me going through all the chapters. Yeah, so, I heard yeah. it kept me going no, through sorry, all the chapters, just, and I'm keeping, like, whoa. Keeping me going through all the chapters. Still going it's through like, it. This game would be amazing. Nah, it's keeping me going. But um, I almost bought it right now. Did you? With Jason Beater, I gotta get it. But yeah, it's, uh, no, it's keeping me going. And and the whole thing is like kind of a, it's almost like a beautiful Joe, like Saturday morning cartoon vibe. Like the cell shading, the look of the cutscenes, the even just the dialogue. I mean, they literally have a pizza uh, Titan Ultra theme song with full lyrics. It's a full four minute song. I listened to the entire thing to see if it like loops at any point. It, it is a full song. Um, but yeah, if, if in the off chance that the story doesn't do it for you, like if you don't like these long cutscenes or whatever, there is also separately an entire upgrade system that provides some additional depth. Uh, this is the third game I said this was kind of like his custom robo, and this is where the custom robo factor comes in because as you go through the game you earn money and you can use that money to get new cosmetic gear and paint jobs for your robot and equipping equipping different sets of gear and ro- and paint will give you the opportunity to unlock new ultras which are like these actual move changes that affect what you can do on the maps so the twist here is that in order to get the new ultras you need to keep switching out and unlocking parts and cosmetic appearances and whatnot so it's kind of like a force deeper gameplay loop which it does up the variety but it's kind of bad if you like to stick to a combo you know works for you or a visual look you like a lot um really what it best allows for some replayability because if you have a new ultra you might go back and try and get a better time or a higher delivery rate on an older map either in the free run or in the vip run so it's all it's all kind of this feedback loop on a feedback loop on a feedback loop that kind of keeps you engaged to address the fact that it doesn't have quite the same core addiction of like a crazy taxi so they, they, they kind of built out a whole world around it to aid in that. And yeah, that's that's basically Pizza Titan Ultra. Like it, it, it sounds like I'm like, it's not fun, but no, it is really fun. It's just fun on kind of like, you know, on the surface, it's crazy taxi with pizza and robots. But it does offer more depth that helps it kind of stand on its own. And minus these nitpicks about like how frequently things change or how much you go back and do stuff, it is, I, I do really enjoy it. And the only nitpick I can think of is probably that the frame rate does sometimes take a hit in handheld mode if you're playing undocked and you have a lot going on a lot of robots a lot of pizza pieces flying buildings destroying it will chug but that's few and far between and that's something they could definitely patch so yeah i mean given given the amount of energy they put into the story and the characters and the world building and the whole wackiness of it and the fact that the core gameplay is really fun even though it's not like crazy taxi levels of greatness it's just solid like really fun like solid good fun uh i'd say it's worth 12 but it's 
12 bucks on the eShop. It seems worth it. Like that, they put a lot of heart and soul to this, and you can tell. So if it sounds like your cup of tea, if you want some kind of Arcadia, I'd absolutely recommend checking it out. If you don't like Crazy Taxi or you don't like some of the gameplay loops I described, you're not going to be surprised. It's exactly as described. So, you know, that's kind of my assessment of it. I'm enjoying it a lot, but that's kind of where it stands in the broader world of games that send you to places only to then send you to another place. So yeah, that's that's Pizza Titan Ultra. I guess that's also this episode, unless you have anything else. You already snuck in your 3DS thing. I ate pizza today. Oh, did you? Was it delivered by a 10-story robot? No. That's unfortunate. It was made by a 11th grader. What? Cooking class. Oh, that's right. You're doing cooking class subbing now. It was really, really good. It's, it amuses me to no end that you are teaching a cooking class and don't know how to cook. I don't have to. You're right, because the kids will feed you. And on that note... No, because we're not cooking, but yeah. Oh, well, what do you mean? The kid made you a pizza. Oh, I mean, the teacher was there, so oh. today was her last day. Well, you might run into a problem come Monday. No, we, we already have that taken care of. See that giant binder? I yeah, do. Those, those. No one else can see it, because this is audio only, but I see it. Well, I'm describing a giant binder, and that's <sighs> a detailed, I guess, detailed plan of what I'm supposed to be doing for the next three months. But what if a kid's like, does this baking soda look like... It, should it look like this? No, or we're say? not cooking or baking oh oh it's all it's all paper based like busy work about uh, cooking no, not busy work they're doing they're working on big projects all right all right they're designing their own food truck and making a giant scale model of it okay yeah you don't need to learn to cook for that no yeah no. fair all right well on that note because i have nowhere i have no idea how else to wrap it i'm just gonna call it there our next episode is coming up on sunday november 11th um it should be an interesting one because like i said earlier we're gonna have nintendo's financial report which means all the numbers and potential news that come with that and i mean they they sometimes announce some pretty significant actual things at these briefings so keep an eye out you never know um but of course roska have what we're playing and all that jazz so to make sure you don't miss it it's um the final episode before we really hit the holiday rush of games um, you can subscribe to us on everything. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. If you missed that last episode, we're now on Spotify. Tune in Stitcher, YouTube at RamNintendo.com. You can also uh, follow us on Twitter at RamNintendo or individually. I'm JSR7. He's Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O. What? I was going to say Jason, a.k.a. the Undisputed Mario Kart Champion. One person knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's true. I am the Undisputed Mario Kart Champion against one person who happens to be sitting right next to us. Not Elvis, in case you were wondering. Not Elvis, not Elvis. You're not a Mario Kart champion. Or, or <laughs> this has got more comfortable than it needed to this, be. This, so. is, this is, you know what? Let's just let's just end this in a fist fight. Let's just end it there. All right, we'll see you guys in two weeks.